0: 命を Welcome to the Winter Palace. I'm your host, Mark Cole, editor and publisher of Death Steps Magazine. Today on the show, I'm happy to welcome back my friend Ashraf Khalil from the AP. We're going to talk about the Sandman TV show. But first, we're going to talk about the Sandman comic, which we've both been reading since the late 80s in college. We're going to talk about how we started reading it back then, our favorite issues, the delays that we had to get through... And on how that relates to the television show, what we did and did not like, which casting we did and did not like, what we think may be on future episodes, we also talk about some of Neil Gaiman's other TV shows. After that, there's some wrestling talk, Osh is going to talk about what he likes recently amongst the two big shows, and also all the Storm and drawing that seems to be going on backstage there. I don't talk about either because I don't watch them, but I am going to talk about some of the older stuff that I've been watching lately. We're also going to talk about the death of Antonio Anoki, what Ash knows and doesn't know about him, what he's looking forward to learning, and we talk about some of the infamous incidents in his life. And at the very end, there's some brief football chat. We're going to talk about Ash's Egypt not making the World Cup and how things may go in Qatar later this year. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Back to the Winter Palace. You may argue that the topic of today's show is slightly delayed, but that makes sense considering what we were talking about and how often it was delayed over the years in various mediums. And that's the new Sandman TV show. Uh, I had planned to possibly do a podcast about this with another one of my friends who's a longtime Sandman fan. Hello, Todd. Uh, But he uh, couldn't do it. And how about, out of the blue, one of our former guests called me up and said, hey, do you want to do a pod about Sandman? And I'm like, sure, let's do it. So finally, after much delays, although I guess if we had actually done the pod on time, we may have actually missed the bonus episode had we been on top of our game. But to talk about this and a bunch of other things, well, please welcome back uh, my old friend, AP reporter, Ashraf Khalil.
1: Hello, Mark.
0: Good. Like I said, this was actually your idea. I did yeah. not I did not need to drag you onto the pod to talk about some weird political wrestling thing or, you know, a baseball team that finally wins the World Series or anything like that. This was actually your idea.
1: Yeah. I mean, it just made so much sense. I mean, Sandman was... Uh... You know, we were there for the, for the ground floor of this. We were down there for the, uh, pretty much the launch of Vertigo, uh, coincided with, with, uh, us being in college. And I remember, I think you were the one that had the Sandman subscription and we would just live and die on these story arcs that, uh, that sometimes dragged out for a year. It was, uh, but it was, you, you felt at the time that you were in the presence of, Something amazing. Like I'm glad. I'm glad I appreciate. I was wh- among those who appreciated it at the time. That this yeah. was other level stuff.
0: Yeah. So uh, to set the scene, um, we both went to Indiana in the late '90s or late '80s and early '90s, and I was yep. here ahead of you. Yep. And so I had fallen off comics a little. In between, like, by the time I got to college, just because, well, there's so much other stuff to do, you know, besides just studying. (laughs) No, you know, studying is the thing that you did least when you're a freshman in college. One is uh, sleeping through your classes and trying to trying to date and whatnot. But uh, but eventually, you know, I found the comic stores that were downtown. Of course, the other thing is when you're on campus. You know, it takes you a while to get be brave enough to wander all the way downtown. For those who've never been to Bloomington, it's a big campus, but the town pretty much uh, abuts right up against it, the, the quote-unquote downtown Bloomington, where are the stores and the bars and the restaurants, and at least then, where I'm sure, I can't imagine how built up it's been in 25 years, but... By then, we were pretty much limited to what was what you could walk to downtown since it was, I don't know, like a half an hour from from the building where we would eventually live. Um, So I found the comic shops, and I had to look this up because I did not remember. I remember not initially buying Sandman, like, the very first month it came out. It – debuted in January of 89 and I know I was buying comics again by the end of my freshman year so I remember picking it up I think somewhere in the first arc which would be the stuff in the first half of the TV show so like I remember buying the death issue on the stands, and that was issue eight. So I remember having to, so I remember, so I remember then having to go back and try and find back issues, which were already kind of hard. And that's when you started seeing, that was sort of the beginning of what I once called in a conference paper, proto vertigo. The books that would become Vertigo, but weren't Vertigo because Vertigo was five years in the future.
1: So oh, that so Sandman predates Vertigo. Yes. Oh, my memory's all jumbled up. Then okay, I
0: think it's. I'd have to look it up, but I don't think. I think the first Vertigo issue may have been during Seasons of Mists. Okay. So, 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 somewhere in the twenties.
1: So, Sandman's success kind of created a pole to build Vertigo around, among other. You
0: know, right. I are. mean, you had you had already had Alan Moore's Swamp Thing. That's I long. was going to where
1: where where the Alan Moore Swamp Thing Watchmen run was. Yeah. Well,
0: yeah. You know, Swamp Thing was mid eighties. Okay. I want to say 83 or 84 without looking it up, so forgive me. Um, Watchmen is, like, 85, 86. Okay. So, so and Dark Knight was before, you know, so Frank Miller's Dark Knight and Watchmen, you know, are mid-80s. Alan Moore's Swamp Thing is mid-80s. So then... In the late 80s is when you get the stuff that I would call Proto-Vertigo, meaning Sandman, Shade the Changing Man, Doom Patrol. I
1: was going to ask, where's Doom Patrol in all this? Because I sort of considered them of like, like Doom Patrol, like the various Alan Moore works, Dark Knight, and Sandman as kind of the anchors of this, of my re- of my getting into serious adult comic books.
0: And, of course, what would probably be my favorite of those books, which is Grant Morrison's Animal Man. Of course. Which is funny because Grant Morrison's Animal Man was over before Vertigo. Okay. Like, I think – and I don't – and he was doing Doom Patrol before Vertigo.
1: Yes, Doom Patrol is earlier. I know that.
0: I don't remember. It's – it's possible, no, I'm not 100% sure with it. It's possible, no, Doom Patrol has to be Vertigo. I was going to say, Vertigo didn't start with Rachel Pollack's first issue, but I'm pretty sure some of Morrison's Doom Patrol is is Vertigo. Anyway, so, and then a bunch of assorted other things that were Vertigo back then. So Sandman starts in my freshman year. So probably, yeah, so then... You came a year after me. and We lived in the same building. And, you know, there were a handful of us that were reading comics in our building. You know, I was, Vic was. Yeah. Adam came with you the same year you did. So then we started, you know, so you guys started reading my stuff.
1: Oh, I pretty much credit you with getting me into the good stuff. Like everything, Watchmen, Dark Knight, all of it. You know, I I was reading. I was an X Men kid, you know, not much more than that. So so I, I put a lot of it on you.
0: I guess that's good. So, yeah. Oh, no, thank um, you. but yeah, so you know, and I think, and we were both gone by the time Sandman finished because Sandman finished in 96 and we joked about how often there were delays. I was going to try and make a chart and figure out when the large gaps were. I know by the end, the gaps were getting really large, but there was a point I want to say like in the second year where there was a big, (coughs) but uh, it's funny because it goes from January 89 until like March of ninety six, so okay. if you do the math, that should be like around a hundred issues if it came out month by month.
1: But it's like seventy eight or something.
0: It's it's seventy five plus the special. Okay. There's at least well, there's at least one special because that's the Orpheus issue. There right. may be like another one or two, maybe things in between there. So. At the most, there's 80 original issues out of what should be a hundred. So there's almost two years worth of gaps in its original publication history. And near the end, they were getting like when you, by the time you get to kindly ones, you know, which is like the last big arc, you know, I remember it being, it rarely actually being monthly.
1: Oh, I feel like Kindly Ones took a solid 18 months, like, with gaps and everything. (laughs) Gaps and sort of one-off side issues in the middle of it. Yeah, yeah, it took forever.
0: And I'm sure, and it's so funny because, like, I talk to people now, you know, that are younger that read comics, and it's just like, you know, they've had the luxury, you know, I know people that have read Sandman, like, in one sitting in one day you know because you know you go to the library or you go to the bookstore and you know you've got all 10 volumes right. or four i think i think there's four omnibuy i think i think it's all in four, i think it's four of them so yeah so you could conceivably read them all in an afternoon i mean you take your time i mean it's a dense book sure. but uh I mean, yeah, you if you're reading
1: them your fast, you're missing out.
0: But you can certainly read them all in one day. You know, yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, that's, you know, one issue. You know, every fifteen minutes, you know, you read four. Yeah. For an hour, then you know you're close to, you know, so two days you can read them all. You know, breathing everything in and going back and referencing whatever. You know, two days. And yeah. Whereas, you know, it took us seven years, and then you've got all the things that came afterwards, and it's funny, I was trying to look up the Sandman delays, and all of the articles on the internet about it is about how long Sandman overture was delayed, you know, because that was coming out like an issue a year or something like that by the time (laughs) it eventually finished, and I don't know. I'm sure I've read it by now. I mean, I decided not to read it in issues because I sort of knew once issue YouTube became long delayed, I said, no, I'm, I can, I don't want to read this bad enough to put up with this. So I'm just going to wait till it's done and then read it. Yeah. So I'm sure I probably read it. I haven't, I admittedly have not read hardly any of the newer stuff. Like, the stuff in the last couple of years that are being done by other people.
1: Oh, I haven't touched any of it.
0: I mean, I read, you know, back when they published The Dreaming, you know, which was, you know, an anthology series where you had different people writing, whatever. Right. I would pick and choose depending on, you know, who the writer was or who the characters are. Like, I know I... I read and bought the issues that Bill Willingham did that were about Mervin Pumpkinhead (laughs) who happily made it into the television show. Yep. Um, And, you know, depending on who the, you know, if you look at the, and then all the various miniseries there were, because obviously at some point Sandman went from being a cult book to being um, a cash cow for DC. Oh yeah. You know, you know, there were as many Sandman miniseries as there were, you know, Batman or X-Men miniseries. And, you know, at least it seemed that way sometimes. And then you know, even the remotest characters in the Sandman gallery got, is, you know, there, I mean, we could name characters you know, people may who may, may not know who only really watch the TV show, there's there's a handful, you know, there's People who are there are witches who eventually got their own book, and the 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 three witches got their own book. There is another witch named Thessaly who got her own series for a while. Like I said, the Merv. I mean, you know, they were doing one shots about Mervin Pumpkinhead, who was a joke character. The game had put in the background of of early issues, who eventually became this weirdly popular character. But I mean, that's I mean one of the great things about the book. One of the the good things and bad things about the wall that they put up at vertigo is the first you know the surely the first year the stuff that you can see in the tv show like is full of all of these old obscure characters that gaiman rescued from obscurity to to put in his book i mean all of um you know, DC used to have all of these, well, I guess not just DC, but all of these comic companies had anthology books for, usually for the other genres, especially horror, you know, starting with like DC stuff and the Crypt Keeper. So DC had House of Mystery and House of Secrets, which in the mid 70s went from being just regular. Um, like weird sci-fi books. I mean, House of Mystery used to be Martian Manhunter and Robbie Reed Dial H for Hero. That used to be the two character, the two books, the two stories in House of Mystery. Okay. And then when you get to either the late 60s, or early, early 70s, that's when they become horror books. And House of Mystery becomes hosted by Kane and House of Secrets became hosted by Abel.
1: Okay, so Gaiman took that wholesale. Okay, I didn't know yeah. that.
0: There is a book called Ghost Castle, which is uh, like a later 70s book. That's where Lucian's from. Lucian was the host of Ghost Castle. Alright. Yeah, you know, there was a book called The Witching Hour. Um, that's where the three witches came from. Um, Eve, I think, was host Tales from the Unexpected. Hmm. So, like, almost all of the characters, the sort of secondary characters in the Dreaming were characters Gaiman had rescued from obscurity from DC. And then, you can't really, you can't tell this from the TV show, but the first arc of of Sandman is full of regular DC characters. Mm -hmm. I mean, he meets in The issue where he goes to retrieve the sand, I think, he meets the Justice League. So, like, Martian Manhunter and Mr. Miracle are in that issue of Sandman. I remember that, yes. You know, Constantine, you know, was originally created in Swamp Thing. And I think he had – oh, we forgot Hellblazer. Hellblazer is another of the Proto-Vertigo – Uh. DC books. It may, I mean, it may have been numerically, it probably, it probably was before Sandman or Animal Man, now that I think about it. Um, so, Constantine was the DC character. Dr. Destiny, who's Dr. D, is a Just Justice... Is was a,
1: some fringe villain, right?
0: Yeah, he was, a, he was a Justice, he's a Silver Age Justice League villain. Yeah. He's the guy, he looks like Skeletor. If you ever see the 60s DC comics, he's the guy that looks like Skeletor that wears a ruby around his neck, now that we know what the ruby is. Right. Um, there are probably some others I'd have to think about. But so – and and then Hector and Lita Hall were um, from Infinity Incorporated. Hector Hall was the son of the Golden Age Hawkman and the Golden Age Hawkgirl. Lita Hall originally was the daughter of Steve Trevor and Wonder Woman. And then after the crisis, okay. She became the daughter of a new character they made called The Fury who was basically Wonder Woman and Wonder Woman with a new coat of paint. So and the the Kirby Sandman the um, who in the TV show is the Sandman character that Judd dresses up as when he's in the dreaming to fight crime or whatever. Right. That's you know that's a Jack Kirby character from the seventies. It's a, a very very trippy character or, or a very trippy series for people to go back and read. Mm. But but yeah. So once once the Vertigo wall got put up, you could have Vertigo crossovers. But you could not have crossovers between um, the DC books and the Vertigo books. And I don't remember – I was on a panel once discussing this, and Paul Levitz was there. And I don't know if he said it there and it became his stock quote or if he said it somewhere else. But basically, they did not – because Vertigo books were mature readers. So theoretically, kids should not be reading Vertigo comics. I mean, they were. 'Cause kids are kids. But you know, somebody, maybe Paul Levitt said they didn't want a kid picking up an issue of Hellblazer because Superman was in it.
1: Oh, okay. As aside as, uh, to that, my nine year old daughter is is long term mad at me because I'm not letting her watch Sandman yet. Like she reads comics, she reads Miss Marvel, she's she's a sucker for any Kind of female superhero character. I, w- I let her watch some stuff. I haven't made up my mind about She-Hulk, but I'm 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 just like Sandman. I promise you, this will blow your hair back, but not yet. You know, it's like I'm i i already. It's, it's my fault for hyping it. I'm like, this will be amazing to you, but you cannot read it for several years.
0: Yeah, I would say, <coughs> you know, parents know their own kids better than anybody else, but like if I had kids, I'd be like, when you're a teenager, you could probably read this. But, like, again, you know, is it, you know, what's a hard R, what's a soft R, what's PG-13, you know? But, I mean, Vertigo was designed for quote-unquote mature readers. Yeah. And again, does mature mean age, or does mature mean mindset? Mindset, in my mind. but, 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 I mean, you can certainly see, if you're the publisher of DC, you know, you do not, especially, and we're talking about the 90s, you know, you do not want the headache of the slippery slope of, you know, little Johnny buys an issue of Hellblazer because Superman's in it, and God knows what else is in it. You know, human sacrifices, sex, gore whatever, Uh you know, the wrong parent sees little Timmy reading this comic and, you know, God forbid it's Seduction of the Innocent again. Yep. You know, you don't, you know, because this is the, night. you know, in hindsight now that it's, you know, 25 years ago, you know, the 90s kind of looks like the Wild West for some things. But then other things, like you had weird crackdowns. You know what I mean? You weren't too far removed from, you know, the PMRC and records having to be raided and Janet Reno, you know,
1: yeah, yeah. live crew and all that.
0: Yeah. So, but then, you know, we lived through that and then you look at the 90s now and you're like, South Park. I mean, it's like, all you have to do is just say <laughs> South Park.
1: South Park. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like, You know, yes, South Park is the one, but it's like would like 95 percent of the the really horrible things on South Park probably be allowed today. I mean, yes, because it's South Park because you expect it. But, you know, if it was just your average show, you'd be like, yes, you can curse now on, you know, on network and cable TV. You know, it's like you can there are certain of the seven dirty words you can say on network TV now. But, you know, I mean, when we were growing up, it was a big deal when someone finally got to say ass on television.
1: OK, yep, yep, yep.
0: You know, and we got to see, you know, Dennis Francis' butt on NYPD Blue. It was this, you know, you'd think the world would, would have stopped. That was a big deal. Yes. Whereas, you know, now, you know, again, some things super strict, some things not strict at all. It's just a weird and you never know until something happens. But anyway, so yeah, so that was all of our our time reading Sandman. So it's funny, you know, we've gotten the first two arcs now and it's interesting that one of them on the show is like probably one of the first issues I would think of on how they are, how are they going to do this on the TV show? And that's the cat issue. Oh
1: God, I watched that today. Like I didn't realize there had been a bonus issue until you told me. I, I have a take. I have a take on this one. I am bummed out that they decided to do that in animation and not live action. I would I at first I thought they weren't going to do the cat issue. And but but live action if they had and now we have the technology to pull it off. If they had pulled off that massive black dream cat, it would have been one of the iconic images of the entire show. They could have put it on posters. It would have been, you know, like just a flash of that. And now it's in a nice sort of friendly looking cartoon. They did a good job with it. I was eternally bummed out. I would have liked to have been there for the discussions because I don't think it's unfilmable. You know, even 10 years ago, it might have been. But now we're so far past all of that. I would like to know why they made that decision to just do it straight up animation.
0: I'd rather have it be animated than that weird CGI Disney kind of thing.
1: No good. The problem with Disney, uh, the, the the Disney Marvel stuff, they're just working too hard. That's why the visual effects all look like crap. And to a certain extent, it's become such a production line that people stop caring. But it can still be done right.
0: But I mean, I would not like the like weird Jungle Book, Lion King, quote unquote live action. You know, that just would have been weird. Like, I'm, I'm, I mean, plus, I mean, at its heart, Sandman is like a show about dreams and fantasy. And so it's like, you know, and this episode is kind of a fable in a way. So it being animated kind of works. Like, Calliope, you know, you don't, you know, one way or the other.
1: I mean they, they, they danced around the idea that it does involve, you know, several years of of imprisonment and serial rape. Uh but but yeah, they did that as, as, as tastefully or as gently as they possibly could.
0: But no, Calliope
1: was good. I liked Calliope.
0: And you know, and they mentioned, you know, they did kinda water it down a little, just because you know, you you get the point. Yeah. You know they, I mean? you don't,
1: they, 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 yeah.
0: It's like leave blabbering of stuff like that to like other shows on cable because they're good at it. No, you I think know, they
1: did a very clever thing We're just like they showed him in desperation going up to her room and then coming downstairs and starting to type. And he's got a scratch on his face. And that's all you ever mentioned. I was like, okay. Well done. Fine. Good.
0: And plus, as we talked about, when it aired the first time that like the cat, the cat issue has a special place in my heart because I got a letter printed about the cat issue in the letters column. Yeah. And I think that was like only the second letter I had ever gotten printed. Cause again, I'm what, 20 at that point probably. So, you know, I had a letter printed in Avengers when I was a teenager and I don't think I had any, in between that I can remember. Um, those are the two from that era that I remember, you know, later, it's, you know, especially once you get to the internet era, where in writing, isn't that big a deal. And it's like, and you get to know people. And so, yeah, yeah I get, like you know, I get my letter published in indie comics because I'm friends with the guy. And so it's like, you know, there's probably maybe 300 people buying this book and I'm one of them and I read them, you know, and I wrote an email, so he's going to put it in there. So that's fine. Yeah. But, you know, to be in a DC book and yeah, again, Sandman at that point was a big deal, at least to sort of, you know, the cult audience, at, you know, the college age, you know, the people that get the reference, you know, all the literary references in Sandman or in Swamp Thing or whatever, you know, like the arguably the who the book is targeted for. Quote. Yeah so
1: so what how did you feel about the overall product mark
0: of overall i was pleased with the show uh first to to grade it on a curve compared to and this really isn't fair but to like to compare it to like the other comic book shows that are on right now, I would say it's leaps and bounds better than most of them. And again again, like you said, Marvel has become an assembly line. And so I think the quality has suffered a little, certainly in the special effects, we know that.
1: Sometimes it gets real
0: bad. And um and a lot of them I think I I think in general now that it's certainly a moneymaker and Disney being Disney You know what I mean? You're getting, you know, three movies a year and four TV shows a year. So it's kind of like, I mean, I don't think it's any surprise that generally I think the Netflix shows, the Marvel Netflix shows have been better than most of the Disney shows because they probably had a bigger budget. They worked on them more. I wouldn't, I mean, I think generally speaking, the acting is been about this you know on these shows are about the same so there's not really a loss but I mean I think I think overall I think the Marvel product this year is noticeably down it's like it's, oh. all, so it's like Eternals I didn't like um, Shang-Chi I did not like Doctor Strange I liked almost in spite of itself and that's more because of Sam Raimi probably yeah Thor, I haven't. I didn't even see in the theater as so I waited for it to come on.
1: Yeah, I didn't go see Thor in the theater, which is a testament to sort of where I'm at as a fan. Like, I knew it was coming eventually. I didn't feel the need.
0: Well, I mean, I've gotten to the point, and I know people who are, like, our age or slightly older that are comic book fans, it's like, with some of the Marvel stuff, it's, like, enough with the comedy. Like, how they can make Thor you know, Thor be like this weird comedy rom com while also balancing Gore the God Butcher. You know, it's like the parts with with Bale were good, you know, and then this weird cheesy um you know, the the um the zoo stuff with Russell Crowe was funny. <laughs> yeah. You know, That, you know, he had, like, this weird Greek accent that was, like, right out of John Belushi on Saturday Night Live. Yeah,
1: I mean, I'm assuming that was intentionally bad. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that was literally his assignment.
0: But, you know, but the rest of it, it's just, I mean, that's kind of why, I mean, I thought parts of Ragnarok were good, but after a while, it just became, like, enough. Ragnarok was like,
1: Ragnarok was really good. Ragnarok, I, I have a hard time picking apart any flaws in Ragnarok. Well, I, see, it was a revelation to me.
0: I think, well, part of the problem, I think, with Ragnarok is that it was successful, which then gave them the license to do it again. It's kind of like how I felt about Guardians, that I liked the first Guardians because it was funny and different, and then Guardians 2 was not funny because it was like, hey, let's do the same jokes again, but do twice as many of them. Yeah. And it's like, enough. And, you know, in the TV shows, you know, She-Hulk has been, I said today, I'm mainly watching She-Hulk now for the cameos to see what obscure Marvel characters they stick in an episode. Yeah. You know, I. I mean... It's like I was. I read the John Byrne book and I read the Dan Slott book. They were fine, so it's not like I don't like the character. It just, you know, Ms. Marvel. I wasn't into, but that show wasn't for me. That that show was like made for your kids. And you know? and,
1: and I dug it too. Just as an immigrant kid, stuff like they nailed the immigrant kid stuff. Like the like you're in high school and then. You've got this whole other family and aunties at the mosque and stuff like that and, and social pressures and support systems and all that like that. You know, that, you know, I, I mean, my, I'm, I'm Arab. I'm not Pakistani. So it's a different history wired through it. But the, the they got they nailed the immigrant kid stuff.
0: Right. Which is good. Like, I, I mean, I told people this show isn't for me. I'm not really interested to watch it but I'm glad it's good and I'm glad it means something to the people that like identify with it. Yeah. And again, it's somebody was complaining about I read a column by somebody online that said like I'm learning to enjoy the Marvel stuff by not watching all of it. And yeah. I'm like, no duh. I'm like it's the same as okay, so we read comic books. I did not buy like Thirty-five comics a month that DC and Marvel put out in the eighties. You know, it's like I bought the two or three a week that I wanted to read, and I didn't read the other ones because they, you yeah. know, it's because I didn't care or I didn't like the character or I didn't like the art or whatever. It's like it's okay to be like a Marvel fan and not watch all of them or not like all of them. You know, you can pick. You know, you not you not have like your Marvel your Mary Marvel Marching Society card. That they gave you in the sixties does not mean I have to watch everything. You know, like I get checked to see what I've watched. It's like, no, you like you watch what you watch, you like what you like. You know, and like I'm hopeful. I'm expecting Black Panther to be good. Yes. You know? I'm fairly hopeful this werewolf by night show, I mean it's a one-shot. So I'm hoping that. It does what they want. I mean, they probably can't be as horror as they probably maybe want to be, you know, because it's still a Disney show on the Disney Channel. So, you know, well, they... That,
1: they now, can... Secret Invasion is going to be what exactly? It's going to be a show? It's going to be a movie? It's going to be what exactly?
0: I don't remember off the top of my head. I think it's some... I think it's let's well, just
1: because uh, they've got that like spooky black and white noirish trailer, right?
0: Uh, I don't remember. No, it's a television show. But so, like, Secret Invasion is going to be a television show, but then Thunderbolts, which would work as a TV show, is going to be a movie. Uh. But then that may also be because they can't afford to pay all seven of them to do a TV show. <laughs> You know, you can pay two or three of them to be in a TV show. And again, yes, because Disney doesn't have any money. Sure. But, you know, you've got to have a budget for something. So it's weird as to what's a movie and what's a TV show. And then, you know, DC is just a horrible mess. You know, I, I have my fingers crossed that I won't hate Black Adam because I love the Justice Society and I like The Rock. But you know, do I have faith that DC will do anything right? No, I mean, I mean, I dislike I dislike Peacemaker so much I stopped watching it.
1: I liked it. I
0: enjoyed Peacemaker. It's you know it just became it was it was too over the top and like a little too violent and
1: a little too violent.
0: I mean, it was again. I'm old. You know, so it's like, I don't need to see my superheroes cursing and excessive. Like, and it's funny because it's Cena. It's funny to see Cena dropping F-bombs, you know, because he was the squeakiest clean guy for the longest time. So yeah. it's you know, it's, so it's funny. It's like, you know, going to see Bob Saget do his stand-up. <laughs> but, you know, and, you know, I that was the same problem. I It was like Suicide Squad on paper. I thought I was going to like, and then it was just more. I mean, it's the same thing. You know, it's the same people. So, oh, um,
1: the show, the, the 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 Grant Morrison comic. No, that was Doom Patrol. Sorry, yeah, no,
0: no. Suicide I Squad. I don't read much Suicide Squad. Uh, Suicide Squad in the original version, like the Dastar interrode in the eighties, is really really good. The pro- the problem is, it's I mean, like a lot of, like, the modern stuff, it's just, like, it's too it, it's too hyper-violent, and, like, it's self-aware, but not, like, in a cool, metatextual way. It's like, bad guys have to be cool, and we've got to have all this hyper-violence, and everything's got to be dark. And it's like, you know, could DC make a movie made during the day?
1: Does Doom Patrol still exist as a going concern? I never caught up to the show, but what I saw of it, they appeared to be very faithful to...
0: As far as I know, it's still on. It's either still on or has only really recently finished. And yeah, it's like, I should in theory, I should watch the Stargirl show, especially since Johns and Robinson are like in charge of it. But it's just like, It's more of like, I just, I'm like so divorced from like 99% of the current continuity that it's just like, I don't want to, it's like, it'll be, if it's too different, it'll just, it'll just annoy me. It's sort of like the Marvel stuff, it's generally close enough to like archetypal continuity that it doesn't bother me with nitpicks. But it's just like, DC has just become so dark and drab and hyper violent for the most part. I mean there's a reason that I said the best like DC book that I've read like in the last 2 years probably is was Scooby-Doo team up <laughs> because it was an all ages book and it was chock full of like all these old DC like you know here's the Scooby gang and they they're solving a mystery and they they run into Plastic Man you know, and then they have to solve this mystery. And then the next issue, it's, oh, they run into Yogi Bear and Boo Boo. Okay. It, but, you know, it's fine. And then the next issue, it's they meet the Freedom Fighters. You know, so there's them with Uncle Sam. And then this year, like, they canceled that, and then it became Batman slash Scooby doo So, like, it's, it's, like the, it's like the Batman Brave and the Bold cartoon. Mm-hmm. But sort of, and then you throw in Scooby Doo. So it's like weird team ups and, you know, harmless, you know, 10 page story. It's cute. You see some characters from the 60s that you haven't heard of in 50 years, and it's over. It's like nobody's arms getting ripped off, nobody's heads getting blown up. You know, the Joker's not a good, you know, the Joker's not the hero. Weird, suicides girl, Harley Quinn, is not a hero. Again, this is very much old man yelling at clouds, which I acknowledge.
1: Well, has has the DC Comics month-to-month production, like, been sort of reshaped to uh, fit the reality that one of their biggest stars is Harley Quinn?
0: Yes. I mean, I mean... I could, without looking it up, there's certainly plenty of Harley Quinn books out there, either either with her, because I mean, she was in Suicide Squad for a while. She's had her own book numerous times. She was in Birds. I don't know if she was actually in the Birds of Prey comic, like she was in the movie, but.
1: And she, she was already she was already popular from the Batman animated series, right? Like that was like she. Well, I mean, she that's she had a following of her own from that,
0: right? Right. And that's where she started. I mean, some people may not know this now, but like Bruce Timm and Paul Dini created Harley Quinn for the cartoon. You know, to give, you know, the Joker. Oh, really? a side. Yeah. Yeah. She's a, I mean, she wasn't in a comic book until they they did a comic book adaptation of Mad Love. You know, which is like her origin story on the cartoon. Yeah, she did not exist before then. And now there's, like, a couple years ago, they made up, like, a sort of newer, like, darker, kind of like Harley Quinn, who's – do I remember? I think her name's Punchline. But I think she was, like, a comedian who turned evil or something, so – and they had her with the Joker or against the Joker. It was – I mean, I – I don't know if we, we may have talked about this before, but like when DC rebooted like 10 years ago, when they started the new 52, they're like, oh, we're rebooting all of our continuity and we're starting over. It's a fresh start. And I wrote a column. I think I still wrote for, for the beat then. And I wrote a good jumping on point is also a good jumping off point. And you just decided like the 60 years of knowledge that I have in my head is now gone. So I'm like, fine. So it's like they rebooted everything and they took some stuff and they didn't take some stuff. And of course, because DC being DC, they've rebooted it like three more times again. They're having another crisis now. And then, here's a pet peeve. I don't know if you've heard me rant about this before. When I was a kid and you had very few multiple Earths, and almost none of the Marvel and DC had it, it was cool. Because it was like once a year, something would happen. Uh But like now, like Marvel and DC especially are nothing but multiverse characters. Because, and this is my, here's my theory. And I don't think if I've talked to, I think I've talked to people about this who have sort of tacitly agreed with me, but like not on the record. Okay. Comic book creators, generally speaking, get royally shafted by DC and Marvel like for rights, which is nothing new. Cause that's what, you know, that's the history of comics is the history of creators being shafted by the companies. So, I mean, there's a somebody wrote a column a couple months ago about um, like Devin Grayson and I, for, maybe Carrie Andrews, uh, that may be, but, Devin Grayson and the artist created the new Black Widow, the blonde one. Okay. Okay. So they have, like, in their contracts, you know, we created this character and Marvel owns them, but if they appear in other media, we get X, like, percentage of whatever. Huh. And so, I mean, that's – that's fairly, that's within, like, the last 20 years, because you know, like, you know, well, Seagal and Schuster's a whole st- story, but, like, you know, creators, like, if somebody would, like, say, like, like, the Penguin. Like, the Penguin was in the second Batman movie. Then, arguably, The guy who created the Penguin, you know, it was Bob Kane. But, like, if if Joe Ryder X had created the Penguin in the 50s, and, you know, like, the Penguin's on the TV show, and he's in the cartoon, and he's in all this merchandise, they got nothing. Right. So, eventually, DC and Marvel started making better deals for guys about royalties and stuff like that. I mean, they still own the characters, DC and Marvel did. Right. So. So there's an article about Devin Grayson and whoever the artist was. Like, they were supposed to get X amount of money for creating Yelena Belova if she's in a movie. And then she gets they get this much if she's on a TV show. Okay. Well, then it, then it turns out, well, first they claimed that the money, the, say, okay, these are all made-up numbers because I don't remember what they are. But say, let's say uh, their contract said they got fifty thousand dollars if if this black widow was in a movie. Well, first they said, I think I have all this right. First they said, no, 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 it's not. You each get fifty. It's you two split fifty. <laughs> so already it's half. And then it became, oh no, that's only if they star in it. But if you add up her actual amount of screen time in this movie, it's only X minutes, so that doesn't qualify, so you only get this percentage of that money.
1: Sure, sure.
0: So, you know, Hollywood accounting, like, there was, um, I remember, like, like,
1: Bottom line, all told, it's better to go be what, Garth Ennis or something and, and write the boys for, under an independent imprint and presumably right.
0: get right. a, a so, much
1: larger share.
0: Right. So, so of, the moral, that it's the, to be
1: the Dead guy than, than right. any of these
0: guys. Right. So, so the moral of the story is if you're writing Batman and you, create, you come up with a really cool villain for Batman to fight you give that to DC quote unquote for free I mean they pay you for the story and theoretically your contract says if this character ends up in a movie or a TV show you get X or do you wait and you go to image and you make your own comic and you use that character in your own book that you own so you're writing Batman okay so this month, Pat, who's Batman going to fight this month? My choices are this really cool villain that I created myself that I could give to DC for free, quote unquote. Or I can make uh, a version of Mr. Freeze that's from a different Earth. So he's fighting Mr. Freeze from Earth 2 instead of the regular Mr. Freeze. Uh-huh. You know, and then on a publishing, it's like there's 900 different Batmans running around now. I mean, it was a really cool movie and everything, but look at look at the Spider-Verse cartoon. <laughs> That's a movie of, like, five or six different Spider-Mans. You know, it's like old Peter Parker, uh, Peter Porker Spider-Ham, Miles Morales, Spider-Gwen, uh, manga manga girl with the Spider-Man robot, you know, film noir Spider-Man. You know what I mean?
1: And these were all, like, actual characters that had appeared in some pit form on paper before, right? Yes. Nobody was created for the movie. Not. There's a comic out there with Spider-Ham, the pig...
0: Spider, Marvel had a a series of comics in the 1980s called Star Comics that were meant that were meant for little kids. Like that's where they published like the um, like Marvel had the rights for like the Little Shortcake comic. That was a Star. They published a Heathcliff comic that was under Star. Like, okay. they, had, they had a Barbie comic for a while. That was understandable.
1: I, I was wondering, like, where... Like, I could totally see at one point, of course, there was a Japanese preschool, like, like middle schooler anime spider. I was like, okay, sure. I, I'm, not, I'm well, would surprised that never happened.
0: But get, get, where I'll did get,
1: the pig come in was okay. my
0: question. I'm, I'm getting to that.
1: All right, go ahead.
0: I might have to make this one of the images for the pod now. <coughs> um. So, do you remember, this is a parallel example, but do you remember when DC had Captain Carrot? I do not. Okay. Well, it's funny because I may be talking to one of the guys who did Captain Carrot on the pod for a different show. Mm -hmm. But, anyway, so, well, you know, like, DC used to, like, everybody had funny animal comics. You know what I mean? Whether it, you know... Whether it was Fox and Crow or you know, I mean like they're sort of DC and Marvel both had like Donald Duck and Mickey Mouse comics with their own characters. Sure. So in the so for this line for kids, Marvel had Peter Porker, their spectacular spider ham. <sighs> so it was funny animal versions of Spider-Man. So there was like you know, Biddy Brandt was a fox, like J. Jonah Jameson was like a hedgehog and then like, you know, Of course, of course he was. Like no, this is wrong. But like Doctor Octopus was an octopus. <laughs> you know, the you know, the Green Goblin was a hyena, like or the jackal, that was a real jackal. So that kind of thing. So that was them reviving something they had already done. You know, Marvel had published um, a Spider-Man version, a, a comic book, a manga in Japan of Spider-Man in Japanese with different characters, but it was Spider-Man. They also did, Marvel did Spider-Man India for a while, where they it was like a comic book, in India that starred Spider-Man but like it wasn't Peter Parker it was an Indian an Indian teenager yeah sure yeah makes sense now whether or not the the girl with the spider you know manga robot is in that book I don't remember but yeah certainly I mean Miles Morales was in Ultimate Spider-Man
1: no no Miles Morales is yeah is established yeah
0: but, I mean, Miles Morales is no different than film noir Spider-Man or Peter Porter. You know, it's just another Earth version of the character. And he was like well, That was like the ultimate universe, yeah. right? Right. Okay. I mean, the, yeah, the ultimates. I mean, I don't remember in the beginning if the ultimates were meant to just be an entirely new line of our characters done differently, or if it was always going to be this is another Earth and Marvel. I mean, because Marvel really didn't have a multiverse the way DC did. Like, for the longest time. Right. I mean, I mean the whole point of the Marvel universe used to just be it was this very small, self contained series of characters. You know, 90% of them all lived in New York. You <laughs> know? But I mean, like, I was talking about buying all the DC books. I mean, you know, when Marvel started, there were eight books. So you could buy every Marvel comic every month if you bought two a week. You know, and and then eventually eight became 16. You know, that's like Tales of Suspense split up and Iron Man and Captain America each got their own book. You know, Tales of Astonish split off and the Hulk and Submariner each got their own book and so on. But, you know, and then there was always like weird alternate timelines or whatever. You know, that was around, but it wasn't like, you know, when there's 10 versions of Wolverine and 10 versions of Spider-Man, it's kind of like you don't need to invent a new character. You just make a multiverse version of an original character, and it's a new character. It's a new character, but it's not a new character. So that way, I mean, that's why, you know, DC and Marvel are basically IP farms now for Warner Brothers and Disney. You know what I mean? Why would you cre- if you're a creator, why would you make anything new for them and give it away? <laughs> but, I, but, I mean, yeah. but I mean, we've now seen enough successes that not everything becomes a hit, but it's like, you know, Robert Kirkman, you know, could maybe have done The Walking Dead at DC for Vertigo. And he would have had some ownership, but then Warners would have also had some ownership. But instead, he goes to Image. He owns it. You know, he's a squadrillionaire. You know, yeah. Garth, Garth Ennis and The Boys. He you know, it's like, if you right, had told... because Ennis had a long DC career. But, I mean, if you would have told me that The Boys would have become a hit television show, I'd be like, you're crazy, because this is like a foul... X-rated version of superheroes. This is like Garth Ennis writing superheroes that he hates and making fun of them. And now it's become, you know, people wink at the show and it's become a big success. I mean, you know, everybody make fun of Mark Miller for all this, you know, for some of his stuff. How many movies has, has, you know, as, as he had made into movies now, there's what, like three Kingsman movies. There's wanted, I mean, wanted
1: Mark Miller, the guy who did Hellboy as well, or no?
0: That's somebody else. No, that's Mike Mignola. There we go. No, Mark Miller did the ultimate. You know, he used to be like writing partners with Grant Morrison. So, like, they worked on Swamp Thing together. Okay. They worked on Flash. Like, Mark Miller wrote Superman Red Son. You know oh, the one. I love Red Son. Okay.
1: I, I have a real fondness for
0: that. Uh, so quite good. But, like, when I, back in the 90s, when I was talking to him online, he said that he had this great idea that was going to be like the secret history of the secret society of supervillains. Okay. Which never got made, but that became wanted. Instead of being supervillains, they're assassins. I mean, they're, they're, they're supervillains in the comic, but when they made the movie, they're just assassins or whatever.
1: Just as a quick aside, you mentioned Grant Morrison. I just, wandering on YouTube last week, I saw, like, the first time I'd ever seen an interview, a video interview with Grant Morrison. I think he was on Seth Meyers' show or something. And I don't know what I expected from Grant Morrison. He's delightful. He's this incredibly cheerful, sunny, slightly queeny Scotsman like, I, I wasn't expecting him to be this, like, cheerful boner mouth. I don't know well, what I was expecting.
0: Well, it's funny, because first of all, I thought you were going to say you couldn't understand him. Well, there's that. There's that. I mean, I, I mean, subtitles. yeah, I mean, I know in the old days, he had a very thick Scottish. I mean, I know plenty. I have plenty of friends who are Scottish. Well, I mean, you had, you mean one of your roommates was Scottish, so you eventually yep. learned to. I mean, <laughs> so you, you've I'm guided, pretty good
1: at it. Yeah, I was going to say, you can, yeah, you can,
0: I was going to say, you can, you had to learn how to, you (laughs) know, understand Glaswegian. To understand, yes. But yeah, but I mean, yeah, used to, yeah, Morrison used to be hard to understand. No, but he's writing this novel now. I'm going to get this wrong. But it's about. A son, like a. Solar Sun that's it's like non-binary something it's like if I start talking you could definitely see this is a Morrison kind of pitch Yeah, yeah but it's but it's very weird but that's the thing it's like you know because well you know that's Morrison is one of those people I had to eventually learn to be corrected that Morrison is now a they not a he
1: I took note of that during the interview. That that Grant Morrison is a they.
0: So, but I mean, you and I are old men, and sometimes we get that wrong. So it's like, oh, I'm, I'm I'm
1: pretty bad at it. Yeah, but, but you know what I mean. But, but also, like, there's through lines through his work. I mean, the Invisibles. You know, I I was that the name of it, the Invisibles.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: That yeah. that that had a trans Brazilian witch basically as one of yeah. the main characters. I and, mean, and, and like, and gave her like. Gave them like like standalone episodes, like we find out their origin. Like was very invested in this character. So,
0: well, I mean, if you're well, <coughs> we, we talked about Doom Patrol. I mean, Doom Patrol had Danny the Street, who was a sentient street, who was like trans, who would like swap genders back and forth. Okay, and, and this is yeah, you know, and he's doing this in like the early '90s. So obviously, he's been doing yeah. this. For the longest time, like you said, Invisibles and Sebastian O has that kind of, I mean, it's, that kind of, like, identity issues is full and runs through, like, almost all of Morrison's writing, so.
1: There's a through line, like, once I, I, like, listened to him talk and got a sense of him, it was like, okay, yeah, this makes sense. And that's a lot earlier, and you could say a lot more trailblazing than, you know, we talked a little bit about um, Desire in Sandman. Whether or not that counts as a trans character, because to call her, she's not human. So, you know, she's she's something else. She's definitely non-binary, but
0: well, you know, well, I mean, if you th- she's well, an I
1: amplification mean, of an idea.
0: Well, I mean, that's one of the things, you know, that you see throughout the course of Sandman is when. He meets different people, he looks differently based on their idea of which is great.
1: Yes, which is why I wanted to see that that cat. I wanted to see the cat in live action.
0: But anyway, but like you said, you know, in the cat issue he's a giant cat. When in the comics, when he meets Martian Manhunter, he's like a yes. giant he's a giant flaming head. He looks when, terrifying. When he meets Nada in hell he's African. He's African, so it would sort of make sense that desire would be man, woman, both, neither. You know it's just funny, like we were talking we were talking about some of this before we started, but it's funny that some of the stuff, even in the early issues of sandman is was seen as i guess what we would now say is progressive. And yet, the
1: character—the character of Hal, the 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 drag queen who was the the landlord in in for Rose Walker. I mean, you know, we kind of got to know him. Like that was that was yeah,
0: it was cool, and it was normalized. But we were talking about, um, you know, the th- thing about the show and the casting and. Again, if you're talking about guys and you're talking about fictional dream beings, like, does it matter? Like, how much is it important that they look like the characters in the book? Does it matter? Does it not matter? You know, it's it's sort of like once you get past, you're like, oh, Cain and Abel aren't two white guys.
1: Did, did did any of that sort of like take you out of your head or ring weird for you? I mean, uh, you know, I'll, no, I'll I mean, you. like any of the sort of Lucian is a, a female black character, the the librarian. You know, that didn't bother me. The Rose Walker being black, that didn't. It was fine. It didn't. It wasn't great. It wasn't bad. It didn't bother me one way or the other. It was like no, okay, fine.
0: Well, it's it's the thing to me. It's the characters in the book that are new that are new for the book, you know, okay, he wrote them as white in 1989. In 2022, he makes them black or Asian, whatever. No big deal. You know, if it's a character that's been around for, like, 50 years, now, if it's an obscure character that's been around for 50 years that, like, like 10 people in the world know, okay, those 10 people might be annoyed. But again, if the actors are good, it doesn't matter. If the actors aren't good, then it's almost more of an issue. Like, I have never been a fan of Janet Coleman. Like, I, I did not like her on Doctor Who. Did not really like her in the Queen Victoria thing. So her being John Constantine, it wasn't that Constantine was a woman, because there is a lady, Joanna Constantine, in Sandman continuity anyway. Yes, yes, correct. But, one, Constantine is a character that has been in, like, two movies and a television show. So it's kind of like, people know who John Constantine is, so it makes... Now, you don't have to cast that guy in the Sandman show to play Constantine, but, you know, I mean, Constantine's supposed to be Sting, I mean that's who Alan... Yeah, Moore, okay. You
1: no, know,
0: if you look at the original issues of Sandman, or uh, Swamp Thing, Constantine looks like Sting.
1: More invented Constantine in what? Sandman? More invented Constantine in Sandman?
0: No, no, more invented Constantine in Swamp Thing it's swamp thing it's swamp thing sorry yeah because constantine shows up i may have this slightly wrong but constantine basically shows up and he's like um there's going to be this big earth shattering thing uh i need you need to fix it so he's the one that sort of takes swamp thing from place to place to place to, in all these stories leading up to it's like the arc that's called american gothic Right, we, and kind of
1: helps him under helps Swamp Thing understand the extent of his powers to an extent, right?
0: Yeah, and then eventually, and then Swamp Thing kind of takes control of Constantine to have sex with Abby so that they can have their kid. That's how that happened. If people didn't, oh, know I don't that. remember that one. If I you ever wondered, if you ever wondered how exactly they had a kid, it's because basically, I don't. Okay. I think. Partially willingly, partially maybe not willingly, I don't remember which. But yeah, Constantine has sex with Abby, and then they have their kid years later, or whenever.
1: Now, was there any legal or reason to not have John Constantine, the original IP, play the role in the show? Do they have to pay Alan Moore less if they, if they no, just no, no. swap this out? Or?
0: No, no, it's possible... Netflix may have had to pay whoever has the current rights for, like, the Constantine TV show.
1: I assume Alan Moore doesn't hold these rights because no, nothing no, would no. ever made if he did.
0: No, I mean... <clears throat> no, this, this would be like a long litany of gripes that Alan Moore has against the comic book industry, but...
1: Against all of it, right? I mean, he's, he's yeah, that's...
0: I mean... All you have to do is read about when they made the movie of League of Extraordinary Gentlemen to know like how Moore just hates when stuff of his gets. I think there's some stuff that he hasn't the one thing that Moore said he liked or didn't hate was they did an episode of Justice League cartoon that was based on the for the man who has everything. The one about when they go when Batman and Wonder Woman go to the Fortress of Solitude to give Superman a birthday present and they have to fight Mongol. <laughs> that's there's an episode of the Justice League cartoon that they adapted from that that Moore either likes or doesn't hate. So on the scale on the scale Moore likes it, on I don't know if that's actually the words he used or not.
1: Has Alan Moore ever chimed in on the most recent Watchmen uh, I, video show?
0: I'd be I, sure. I long ago stopped reading that stuff. Every couple of years, it's like we all know what Alan Moore thinks about this stuff. But like every year when something new comes out, somebody usually from the BBC has to like go and poke him with a stick and go, hey, Alan, what do you think about this? When it's like, go read the 900 things I've said about this in the past and then slam the door. You know, he should just like be Ditko and just not talk to anybody anymore.
1: Well, no, I'm just curious because they they, they took it in an interesting direction. Like it's like there might be that might be the one thing that Alan Moore
0: is like, well, oh, that wasn't trash. It's entirely possible that hypothetically the. The the story elements in there, he might not hate, given like his politics, Yeah, that that's fair to say. But um, no, it's like I don't read like anything Moore has to say anymore. Even if it might be interesting, I don't want to know. It's like I don't I like I have not seen any of the Watchmen stuff. I have not read any of the Watchmen stuff. None of the stuff that that he did not do, I've never read.
1: You didn't see the HBO show for I did
0: not. I did not watch the HBO show. I have not seen the Zack Snyder movie. No, I have not, not
1: the Zack Snyder movie. Of course, that's that's disposable. But the HBO show might be worth your time. It's interesting. They do some stuff.
0: This falls in the category of I don't want to see it if it's good and you like it. Good. That's as as I grow old. I thoroughly
1: least... impressed. I was thoroughly impressed, and I went there, in, like, you know, not willing to, like, even the Zack Snyder Watchmen, yeah, like, the, you know, I watched that out of, like, loyalty, and was just kind of, like, didn't feel the urge to ever watch it again. Like, I'm not even sure why, I'm, I'm not even sure why Watchmen didn't work, but Sandman works, because they were both extremely faithful, almost line for line, Well at a
0: well, this is something interesting because Sandman has been optioned dozens of times, probably since the nineties.
1: I thought it would never
0: happen. I mean, I've- you and I, you and I, are old enough to remember that at one point the rumors were that it was going to be Johnny Depp as Dream and Winona Ryder as Death. Hmm, okay. I mean.
1: <laughs> I'm glad that didn't happen. Although, I could face for it. I wanted a Joseph Gordon-Levitt. I, I was, I, I was sad when that fell apart. But I you know what he mean, justice.
0: There's been some, like I said, there's. It's like you could almost see every few years the rumors would come up. It'd be who's sort of like the hot indie artist kind of guy that could play Sandman. You know, Game into his credit a couple times was able to put his foot down and say, please don't do this. You know, I think one of the times when John Peters was involved, which here's my John Peters joke, may have involved Dream fighting the giant mechanical spider. (laughs) You know? So, but, you know, again, it's funny. One of the complaints that I read about the Sandman show was um... That his Tom Sturges, prefer, like, he was unlikable and moody and distant and hard to understand. And I said, then he's done his job because that's what Morpheus was like for the first 70 issues of the book. Well, he, okay. This, he's, this, he's, go ahead. He's, he's meant to be unlikable. I mean, he's your protagonist. He's not the hero. Okay,
1: this this brings me into my capsule review because you know, I enjoyed the show. I I mean, I enjoyed the show. It's I'm glad it's out there. I'm glad they've been faithful to it. My biggest hang up with the show is that the casting of Dream just does not work for me and I don't know how to get past it and I'm not even sure if I'm being irrational or not. Every time I see his face, and I felt it again, you know, I haven't seen, you know, I watched the episodes a couple months back when they came back, and today, in preparation to talk to you, I watched the Calliope episode, and every time I see his face, it does not work for me. He looks like he's constantly doing Magnum from Zoolander. He looks like he's constantly doing the model face, where he's sucking in his cheeks, and I just, it does not work for me. I cannot let myself go and escape into the story all the other changes are fine. You know, Death being a black woman, that's fine because it's actually one of my favorite actresses. I love her. She's she's great in everything I've ever seen her in. Uh, but my biggest problems, The Corinthian, chef's kiss on The Corinthian. He's perfect. I have no notes. Um, Gilbert, of course, Stephen Fry. Yes, Gil- by all means. It all works for me with two exceptions. One, Lucifer, and and I I I I remain unconvinced that Gwendolyn Christie actually can act, um. So that's going to be a problem. Yeah, one Dream just does not work for me visually. He doesn't look right. I can 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 you does that make any sense to you? How do you
0: feel? I I think he's fine. I mean, it's I mean the character's kind of a cipher anyway. It's I mean a lot of the times it's. Like the cliché of, you know, he shows up in the last five minutes to, you know, to end the plot. And that's speak, it. And that's,
1: speak cryptically and be a bit of a dick. And uh, I mean,
0: like I said, it's, I mean, you know, it's the kind of thing where it may not work for me, but I, was, I saw some clip today where Game had said they probably auditioned at least 1,500 people to play Morpheus. And he said, Tom was one of the first ten people we saw, and we're like, yep, it's him. And they had to go for, like, another two years of auditioning people, and they still was like, uh, it's still Tom. You know what I, I mean? So, I panic
1: why he doesn't work for me, but it's there. It's there. It's cutting into my enjoyment of the show.
0: No, it's, it's funny. I asked one of my friends if he had anything he wanted to, like, me, us to discuss, and he just said, one, he said, hell didn't work for him. So I don't know if that's Gwendolyn Quisty or the special effects or whatever, the way
1: they did the game, the way they did the challenge, was fine. I enjoyed that. That, that, that. Knowing what was coming, I wasn't disappointed.
0: And, you know, and again, I don't really have a problem with going and Christie per se. It's like, yeah, she doesn't look like the guy that played Lucifer on the Lucifer TV show. Like, yeah,
1: but that ain't like that. Lucifer is supposed to, be, is supposed to look like a, a giant David Bowie who might kill you.
0: Yeah, you that's know, the
1: thing. I would like, David Bowie with leathery bat wings, and they did all of those things.
0: Yeah, it's just, it's like, that's fine, whatever. Again, this is one of the D, one of the missing DC things. There's no Etrigan in that issue, which, in this <laughs> episode, which, again, I know I'm not going to get it. It would have been cool, because really, who has the rights to Etrigan that they couldn't pay, like, $10 for, yeah. for them to use them? Yeah, and that's... That's fine, but no, he said something to do, let me see, let me find what he said so I can quote him right. Uh, It it reminded me that Gaiman was 29 or 30 when he wrote it, and it feels kind of young now. So it it is funny that, you know, we were talking about how this was written in the time, and I'm sure that you know, if he were to – the stuff that he's written since then has been different. But, you know, yeah, it probably was written by, you know, a late 20s-year-old British white guy, you know, who has a certain set of life experiences. I think – I don't know if he had moved to Minnesota by then or not. You He'll know what I mean?
1: Minnesota? He used to.
0: Which is why, when you why when you read American Gods, there's all that stuff from like the Upper Midwest because those are like places like he went to visit or that he knew because he like lived in that part of the country.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I I'm aware. Just growing up in the suburbs of Chicago, about wherever wherever that place was, the house on the, the rock or whatever that uh, that they go to for their big God Summit. Yeah, I I, w- I know of that. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, so that's all from his. Like, I'm sure if he were to write whoever he writes now, you know, now that he's, you know, a multimillionaire and a celebrity couple with Amanda Palmer and, you know. Sorry, who
1: you gave him a couple with?
0: Amanda Palmer. Oh, okay. The performance artist slash musician. I'm not sure how she's technically. Categorized, but I think they've been married for like ten years or something like that now. Oh,
1: cool. Hey, I'm glad he's involved. I'm glad he's happy with it. I'm glad that Neil Gaiman is like a happy, well-adjusted person who seems to have navigated all this without becoming bitter towards the industry. You know, it was a slow trickle. He's actually had quite a few things of his.
0: Well, the uh, one thing I was he going made
1: to mention do good stuff, like you know, American Gods was pretty. I only watched one season of the show, but I liked what they did with it.
0: Well, it's funny that when we were talking about his creative control on this, that it's funny how this is so faithful and good. And Good Omens was very faithful and very good. I did not watch it. It looks like a blast, actually. Whereas American Gods, he was sort of involved with, I think, the first season and then less as it went on. And you can see when stuff starts to go different, like, you wonder, it's because maybe he's not as involved as he was in the beginning. I mean, American Gods, I thought, certainly at least the first season, had some good points and some bad points. I mean, Ian McShane is, like, perfect.
1: Yeah. Like, of course. Yes.
0: Wednesday. You know, and then some of the other, I mean, it's not been long enough, I don't remember, but, like, it was mostly fine. Yeah, but Good Omens, I thought, was great, even though, like, there's a bunch of stuff that was tweaked, again, because you're setting it 30 years from when it was written. I mean, it's the same with this. Like, they very conveniently now have him – that it's now been 100 years that he was imprisoned, as opposed to being, like, 70. You know what I mean? So there's also some other –
1: that's, that's, like, that's a wonder, but I mean, yeah. there's
0: also, there's like stuff in the 30 years in between that you can just sort of skip over that you don't need to worry about. Yeah. That's not that, again, it's it's like, it'd be, oh, that's another thing, I don't we we're talking about casting. It's like, Charles Dance is perfect. He's like the perfect yes. guy to play Roderick Burgess. Yes, he is. You know, Julie Richardson was great David Thewlis is amazing. He's probably, like, the best person on the whole first season.
1: Oh, but uh, there's a plot point I wanted to ask you about. In the show, in the David Thewlis, in the Dr. D, you know, Diner of Death episode, doesn't he kill the nice lady who brings him to the diner in the end?
0: Yes. The lady who he gets a ride
1: with? Like they, he, he 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 makes it like he's gonna let her off the hook, and then he turns around and shoots her, right?
0: Yes, and Gaiman she has died. Talked, yeah, Gaiman has Gaiman has talked about why she lived and didn't die in this. And, I would like.
1: I'm gonna ask you to send me that link. Yeah, I'm really it. curious about that change.
0: Anyway, I think it, I may have this wrong, but he just kind of said, like, she has enough going on. Or, like, it doesn't really matter one way or the other. In a way, it's kind of cool that, like, D hasn't, like, totally lost his humanity, that, like, he spares this woman because, you know, he's getting ready to do these horrible things. Yeah. Which, oh, and here's something I had completely forgotten, either didn't know or had completely forgotten about until I was looking stuff up today. Like, five or six years ago, these independent filmmakers remade that issue of Sandman as like a short film. It's like a half an hour long, and like it's faithfully reenacted, like panel by panel, like live action or yes, yes, live action. It's let me see, let me, huh? But and it's on YouTube, so I will maybe if I remember to put ink, let's see, Sandman, as I'm now looking for the Wikipedia page, Sandman 24, Sandman 24 Diner, 24 hour diner, Sandman 24 hour diner is a 19, is a 2017 Gothic horror fan film produced and directed by Evan Henderson and Nicholas Brown. The film is a direct adaptation of Neil Gaiman's Sandman, the film follows issue 6, 24 hours comprised of one of the darkest and horrific issues of the series. Yeah, that's fine. So that's, you can that's on YouTube because I, I saw it earlier. I didn't watch it. But, so, I mean if nothing else, that would be interesting for people to watch to compare it to the episode of the TV show. Because there, you know, like every episode, there's some tweaking. Yes. Um are you the one that told me how they liked they really liked how they did the Hob Gadling thing on the TV show? Or is that somebody I, else? I don't know
1: if we talked about it, but I did like it. I thought, uh, I thought been, it was well handled all through.
0: Well one of my friends thought it was interesting. It was a good idea to like pair it with the death in the death issue. Or the death episode?
1: Yeah, that's right. Oh, that was a bit of clever sort of mushing together, aren't they? Because those those issues aren't even concurrent, are they? They're like they're several issues apart.
0: No, and that's I mean, and plus he shows up. I want to say like maybe once or twice over the course of the book. Like I, Gadling? I think so. No,
1: no, he definitely shows up towards the end. He shows up again because he's got like, uh He's got a black girlfriend, and he's still, like, guilt-ridden over owning slaves, and he keeps, like, making all these references to it. She doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. And, yeah, yeah, he pops up, like, possibly even, like, in The Kindly Ones or something. Like, yeah, he pops he, up
0: he may independently
1: al- later. Aren't you? He
0: may also be in the Lady Joanna Constantine issue, although I'm not...
1: Well, she's in his issue, isn't she? Like that—that's that, still the Hob Gadling issue, where where Joanna Constantine tries to kidnap them or something like that, and, and fails.
0: Well, I was thinking about the issue with Joanna Constantine, where she's trying to smuggle Orpheus' head out of France. I don't recall if Gadling is that. No, because that's. I don't keep up something that, but my,
1: okay, but it's been. I haven't gone back and read the comic. No,
0: I've I've deliberately not reread any issues to compare it to the TV show. It's all like, oh, based on my fog of memory. Yeah, me too. And that may just be because I'm mixing Revolutionary France with old ye England in my head. But yeah, there are. It's one of the things that I, I figured we talk about too is they still haven't officially greenlit season two. And he said if we do it, it uh-huh. would still take us a couple of years to do. But I'm like, well, Seasons 2 has to be Seasons of Mist, which would be really interesting to see them do. If for no other reason you've got Odin and Thor. And I, and I wonder, you, how, I wonder well, how people
1: were... Egyptian gods and all of this. And, you know, Loki, like the very distinct, extremely murderous, version of Loki like that's i i, I thoroughly enjoyed the lo- especially well does
0: marvel have loki yeah, i does mean marvel have thor well, marvel has thor yeah and odin
1: how but, are they yeah. going to handle that cuz loki's well, I mean, a, a major character like
0: loki helps bring about his downfall well i mean i mean they're they're mythological characters i mean it's not like Marvel does not own Thor in its modern, as the god of thunder? Well, Marvel would own, like, blonde-haired Thor that looks like Thor.
1: But they don't own the name.
0: No, I mean, because he's a god.
1: I mean, that'd be like... I don't don't know how these things work.
0: No, I mean, Marvel owns... (coughs) Like, Marvel owns quote-unquote Thor's likeness and, like, intellectual property. So, like, you could not reference, like, an issue of Thor on, in, in Sandman. But, I mean, it'd be... Could quintess- they have
1: a Thor who's got log blood hair, or would Marvel's... Marvel, is that the point where Marvel's lawyers... Would I get-
0: would... I mean, presumably, as long as, I mean, Thor historically is supposed to have red hair and a red beard.
1: Which he so- did in the comic. Yeah, in in Sandman, Thor is a giant redhead, yeah.
0: I mean, it was Stan Lee and or Jack Kirby that decided that Thor is going to look like a surfer. Okay. You know what I mean? I mean, it'd be no different than saying, you know, Marvel Marvel has Mephisto, so, like, can Sandman use the devil? Okay, okay.
1: I mean... I'm just curious how they'll handle Loki now that there's this whole other fully formed Loki running around.
0: Well, I mean, look, at well, I mean, we were just talking about it. I mean, the American Gods TV show had Odin. Of course. He did not look like Anthony Hopkins. Of course. You yes. know, I mean, is it I think is I think Thor may be in American Gods. I think there is a Thor like in season two of American. I mean, he's in the book. Is he? I'm pretty sure Thor's in the book. I'm pretty sure Thor shows up, I think, in season two of American Gods. I only I only sort of watched season one. Like,
1: I didn't know what Gaiman's involvement is, but I knew that Brian Fuller, like, left after season one. And, and my interest in the show, like, I had such respect for Brian Fuller because I liked I really liked Hannibal. And I thought he was like, okay, well, if the whole creative team's gone, then I'm probably not going to follow this anymore. I
0: mean... Realistically, if you have a big, like, six-foot – if you have a guy that looks like Sid Vicious carrying a hammer, and you said that's Thor, you go fine. I mean, it's like all you need is, like, a big giant guy carrying some kind of hammer that (coughs) – as long as it doesn't look like the way Marvel draws Mjolnir, then you're fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I mean, what are you? What are you most excited for to see in upcoming Sandmans? Yeah, season of the Mists obviously should be impressive.
0: Yeah, well, so see, it's the family. but I mean, if I would them doing the the special would be interesting. with you know, like in an ancient Greece with Orpheus?
1: And well, the, they they name dropped Orpheus, so
0: yeah, they want they definitely want to do that episode, or
1: they wouldn't have said the name.
0: No, I mean, well, it's like, like you said, it's, I mean, at this point, all, it all kind of blurs together. I mean, presumably, you'd like to have the show around long enough that you get to like Daniel being born. Of course. Or, you know, and, you know, and however they're going to do it. I get, right. you know, and how much, I mean, they. I mean, we've already sort of gotten rid of Hector Hall now, so there's that and
1: Lida, Lida will be popping up again certainly if they, if it if it runs long enough
0: well I mean you've got to have her eventually you know stick the Kylie ones on them but like do I need I mean it's not going to be the same as the comic you know because Jill Thompson's a friend of mine but like do I need to see Dream and Delirious go on the trek to find destruction and, you know, the, you know, again, I mean,
1: I want to I see, see how they handle Delirium. I've been satisfied so far. I liked des- uh, Despair. Despair was properly, you know, Despair-ish. So, yeah, I want the rest. I
0: mean, yeah, if nothing else, you'd like to see the first issue of Seasons of the Mist to see how they do or who they cast as, like, all of the family. Yes. other than other than destruction but i mean i'm one of those people that eventually in hindsight you know sort of liked the individual issues a lot more than sort of the big arcs
1: maybe because sure. they were
0: cause they were done in one stories like could they do the werewolf issue i mean that'd probably be a weird tg nightmare probably yeah you know what i mean then like now I'd love to see them do like the Emperor Norton. Yes, it, that would be fun. But then there's one, and then there's the question of can they do some of the weirdly DC specific stuff? Like can oh, they yeah. do? Can they do the Element Girl? Ooh! Can they do? Can they do Prez? No. I think I think Prez has shown up in some modern. I have to look this up. I want to say that somebody has done something with Prez in DC media. I
1: I, I think I'm, I'm going to predict that the Prez issue has already, like the brain trust has already sort of put that in the not unfilmable, but kind of not worth the effort file. What else? Element Girl would be interesting but complicated. Oh, okay. I have a question for you because you there read, is go ahead. There,
0: there is indeed a reference to Prez and passing on the Star Girl TV show. Wow! A, although it says it's a movie poster, Wait, the, so that Star up, Girl TV show—the one with Luke Wilson in it—I watched one season
1: of that with my kid, and then she lost interest. But but I was kind of into that. That was all right.
0: Prez was also in an episode of the Brave and the Bold cartoon. Okay, sure. Which. I, I've seen, but don't remember.
1: Okay. I, I have a question for you, just because in all the sort of peripheral Sandman stuff that, that came out is that, you know, when Gaiman was done writing and they were just trying to monetize this all to hell, did they ever tell the stories of how Delight became Delirium or how one of the previous Despairs was destroyed? Are those untold stories? I don't know because those, to me, were the big like beat on the like left on the table stories.
0: The answer is never told. Not in anything like probably done in the last fifteen years. Like, like I said, I don't. I really don't even remember what's in Sandman Overture, because I read it to say that I read it, and I really can't recall what's in it off the top of my head. But I would be surprised if Gaiman let anybody do those stories, but himself.
1: Yeah, I mean, if he, I don't know if he had right of refusal. I would have, I would have used it on those things. Yes.
0: But I mean, I wouldn't see him (laughs) taking something that big, quote unquote, and like handing it to like Willingham or Alyssa Quitney or, you know, who, God, Peter Gross, you know, like, there's, God, there have been so many spinoffs that, like, I can't even remember all of them. And then there's like, you know, and now there's going to be like there's going to be some kind of TV show based on the Dead Boy Detectives, you ah, know, which is like that. you know a throw off in one issue, and then they got a couple mini series. Like I said, I recall that, yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean, because I think Jill worked on one of those, and I, th- I think maybe maybe Brian Talbot worked on. See, it's the it's. It's all like an ocean of memory at this point. It's like I read a lot of it. I remember most of it, but like the detail, the details are kind of sketchy. So, but yeah, I would certainly be in favor of a season two. I mean – But you said they, they they haven't even started it yet. No, right? well, they haven't, they haven't even officially – They haven't even been greenlit. Yeah, they haven't been greenlit. And I saw some quote where Gaiman was like – like they don't know, even though it was like the number one. See, it's weird. I don't know how it's the whole ratings of streaming shows is still weird to me. I was gonna say, like, how do we even know if this thing? Well, like, like, supposedly Netflix has now figured out a system to rate streaming, but then it's weird because how do you compare something that drops all at once to something that could? Comp- like, I read some article that was saying. You know, the Lore of the Ring show has better ratings than House of Dragons. And it's like other than the fact that they're both weekly in sort of an old school way, it's like one's on a Friday, one's on the Sunday, and it's like they didn't debut on the same week, so they're not on the same weekly schedule. It's like, you know, one is like week eight now and one's like week five. Yeah. Or something. And it's like, and these numbers are proprietary, so it's like, how are they, I mean, Nielsen numbers, I think, have always been kind of a crapshoot anyway. But, like, this is really, how do you gauge, and you can't trust the networks themselves to give you the real numbers. I mean, I wouldn't. But, I mean, he said, I mean, supposedly it was, like, the number one streaming show for, like, the two weeks after it came out. But then again, it's like. But then there's like, there's something new every week. So it's like, how do you sustain? And when you dump every episode at once, what kind of repeatability do you have? Or strength? Yeah, it's just, I don't know how, how, how the industry thinks all that works, but I do know he said they haven't, I know he said they haven't been greenlit yet. He said, and even when we do, this will take years. It's like, you probably have to get people's schedules to line up. and I
1: mean, it's a big cast in some of this stuff. Yeah, there's a lot of moving parts.
0: Well, but I guess, and it's the thing where, okay, there's people that were in the first season who may not be in until season four. So it's like, how do you know? I mean, are is it in their contract that when, in 10 years when we make season four that they'll be in it? It's like other than okay, you need dream for season two, you need death for season two, you need desire for season two. Uh-huh. I guess you need you need despair for at least one episode. I don't know, if, and you, I mean, I'd have to remember what all happens during seasons of mist. I mean, I think that dead boy detective story is during seasons of mist because, you know, Lucifer closes hell and the dead all leave or the demons all right, Right,
1: direct consequence of the closure of hell, yeah.
0: So, and I guess you'd need her for some of the episodes. you need Gwendolyn Christie for some of them, but other than that, and you would assume, you know, Tom Sturridge has got some kind of contract that locks him in for, you know, seven seasons in a movie or whatever. Yeah. Presumably, yes. You know, him and Death are like the only two people that you need realistically f- for the whole thing.
1: Yeah, that you couldn't recast without any, you know, without any too much and, trouble. right?
0: And realistically, you could recast death. I mean, like and we were a, said,
1: a different aspect of yeah. uh, an anthropomorphic concept.
0: Well, yeah, sure. I mean, you know, we were talking about the casting. It's like, I, mean, I saw, you know, quotes about people were wondering if they were upset if we would not cast, like, a young Asian actress to be death. And I'm like... Is that supposed to be Asian? It's like I know she's drawn that way some but a lot of times and the thing with Sandman too is it depends on who's drawn the book. It's like Mike very Dringen- much so. Mike Dringenberg's death looks very different than you know, the Chris Piccolo death from the miniseries. Yeah, yeah. I mean she's always kind of like magic pixie girlish. You know, yeah, they're
1: pretty consistent with her.
0: But Again, you know, if she's, you know, Asian <laughs> or black or whatever, I don't think it really matters.
1: No, it fits the concept.
0: Yeah. So, before we go, uh, we were talking about this before. Uh, do you have any wrestling chat that you want to have before we go? Well, I mean, I'm I've, I've enjoying, you know, I watch...
1: Uh, WWE and AEW. Uh, more AEW than WWE. Like WWE, I'll sort of like, you know, check in every now and then. There's, there's aspects of it I like. I think it's all going quite interestingly. The 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 punk thing, I I or the the, the AEW thing, I, I hope this doesn't take them down. Like I I you know, even if you take away CM Punk and the Bucks and Kenny Omega, I still it's still a show I would thoroughly enjoy watching. Like I'm I'm enjoying the John Moxley, you know the the, the summer of Moxley. Like I it, it's like I I think he's enjoying himself. I you know the the blood and gut stuff is can get a little much, but but I like watching AEW, the WWE now that they got rid of Vince. I mean right now we're in Triple H's honeymoon phase, and that'll end. You know, he's sort of running out of people to bring back. But I'm thoroughly enjoying all of it. Sammy Zayn, look, you know, this is why, if I could, the, the, only, the, the only way I could possibly try to talk you into watching this stuff again is to tell you that Kevin Steen and Elgin Generico are fucking running the place. And it's only going to get better. Like, I, Sami Zayn, everything about Sami Zayn makes me smile. Not just because he's an Arab guy, you know, which also makes me smile. But, but you know, he's an Arab dude. He's a redheaded Ar- Syrian from Montreal. Like, okay, sure. Like, I, I'm thoroughly enjoying that stuff. Sheamus is back. I, I, I rolled my eyes when they made Walter lose, you know, 70 pounds or whatever it is to fit their ideal. But the stuff he's doing now, he looks good. It's interesting. I'm intrigued. Even sort of Rome, the never-ending Roman Reigns dominance thing. This is the best possible use of Roman Reigns. Like you got to give Vince credit for that. Like that happened under his watch that they finally kind of unlocked Roman Reigns. AEW. I'm just hoping the goddamn thing doesn't implode. Like it. It just sounds like I don't know if it's late stage WCW because late stage WCW they handed it out guaranteed contracts and creative control irresponsibly. And I don't think that's what happened here. Like, I think Tony Khan is still actually running the place. Uh, I was very sad. I am a Chicagoan, and I loved CM Punk. And I, unfortunately, you know, had to come to the conclusion that he does appear to be Kind of, I mean, I guess he's one of those guys who, if he if he feels like you're on his side, he's ride or die and will defend you to the death, right up until you cross him in his mind, and then you're dead to him forever. Which which sounds like a tough guy to like deal with in any like positive capacity for a long time. Now, you know, you, so
0: you did not just learn in twenty two that Phil Brooks is a jerk, right? You you, you knew that all along.
1: I knew he was uncompromising, and I knew he was kind of, uh, yeah, but this, this was a whole other thing. Yeah, this was, this was some, I, I, and, and, and I guess, the, okay, here's the AEW thing. If, 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 you know, and I'm not defending CM Punk in any way, like that was incredibly stupid and just setting fire to, to, to walk into a, to, to make it about him on the night when he was, you know, giving up the title and, 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 like the launching the company into some other that's fine. It was incredibly weird and selfish and kind of delusional and i I, I think he's going to be a bitter old man, and that's makes that kind of bums me out because I did like his work. but if the bucks were planting rumors about how he got Colt Cabana fired and he actually didn't have anything to do with getting Colt Cabana fired, he has the right to be incredibly mad about that. Like, but I don't know if that's what happened. And they should be, and if they're, as executive vice presidents or whatever, like, adults in the room are undermining their company's top star in this way. Like, if these leaks happen the way he apparently thinks it happened, he has a point. But that was still career suicide. (coughs) Uh, And I don't know the nature of what happened between him and Colt Cabana. I've enjoyed all of their works. I listened to Colt's podcast for... I've stopped, but for quite a while I was enjoying it. He was one of the 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 OGs of this. Like he 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 damn near invented something. So I hope it keeps going. I thoroughly enjoy. You know, it appears Sammy Guevara might be some sort of raging prick, but I I can never tell. I I mean a lot of this is just social media. Dear God. If the WCW people had access to Twitter back in the day, it would have been pretty much this messy. But, you know, the fact that they kind of, like, don't script the promos and let everybody be themselves appears to be the problem.
0: (laughs) Maybe Vince knew what (laughs) he was doing all along.
1: Yeah, yeah, you got to run it like a... Like a military style or something I don't know I don't know what happens like i maybe like i i have i know that you i I could always take or leave the bucks. I never fully understood it it always looks a little too just like it do, doesn't look like it hurts enough frankly you know and, and but I enjoy kenny omega uh like he wasn't really on my radar prior to this i i I first heard of Kenny Omega by watching like. Uh, Austin Creed's video game stuff, where, where where he would pop up, and I was like, "Who's this guy? Who apparently speaks Japanese?" And like, "What's this?" Like, and then so that was that was you know I had a late introduction to him, but I'm enjoying the AEW product without all of these people. Like, I kind of want to see where it goes from here, so I'm I'm intrigued. I I hope it doesn't like itself. I really do. And I'm enjoying the you know, everyone the post Vince honeymoon that everyone's so thoroughly enjoying. And I would love to know if Stephanie and 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 her husband like leaked this stuff to the Wall Street Journal because everything came up roses after that.
0: It is funny how the wrestling business solved a
1: lot of problems, didn't it?
0: It's funny how the wrestling business is tailor made for conspiracy theories because everything. I always say it's a business built on a lie, so that's what everything everything spreads from there. So <laughs> you, never, you never know what's a work, what's a shoot. You don't know who's working you, who's lying. Are they? You know, the nineties taught us that the front the promoters would work the boys if they had to, to advance stuff. And sometimes the boys worked the promoter so badly that things happened for real, which uh, coincidentally enough, today is the 25th anniversary of the death of Brian Pillman.
1: Uh, Speaking, one of the great, one of the great work shoots run amok in the history
0: of the art form. So, I mean, you know, he, m- Worked. He and Bischoff worked so convincingly to fool everyone that he fooled Bischoff into firing him for real, and then he went and got a better deal. I mean, that's 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 the epitome of wrestling for you, right there. So,
1: so I'm I'm enjoying it. I'm I'm enjoying it with the drama. I hope the company sort of stabilizes. I do. Yeah, you know, I kind of see how they got themselves into this. And I hope they can get themselves out of it because even if they fire everybody, like Punk, the Bucks and Kenny Omega just gone forever. I'm, I'm not sure what the contract implications of that, of that are, but even then they've still got a really fun company. Like it's, it's fun to watch. I, I, I've enjoyed Keith Lee and Swerve Strickland as a tag team. They're fun. FTR deserve, you know, the, you know, all the smoke everybody's blowing their way. You know, it's, just, it's, it's, it's fun. It's good to watch.
0: Meanwhile, I'm happy to be watching my newly discovered 1987 <coughs> World of Wrestling from rural Alabama. That is now, you know, for everyone that listened to the last couple of shows with with Chris from Armstrong Alley talking about all the stuff he's uploaded on YouTube. That I I watch no current product. I only watch old stuff. I'm I read the news and I'm happy not to watch any of it. I'm happy to to live in the past and discover things I did not see earlier. Um, But uh, the other thing we are going to mention, since I wanted to talk to somebody about it. Do you have any thoughts on the passing of Inoki? The arguably one of the 10 most important people in wrestling history and the man who may or may not have invented modern mixed martial arts.
1: Not so much. I'm kind of learning about him. Like the, the, like I, I knew him just as, you know, obviously the giant jawline and, and some of his matches and the fact that he went on to become a, you know, the equivalent of a congressman uh, with a, with a long career, but I wasn't that I've actually got something from the ringer. Uh, from Phil Schneider on my screen that I need to read that's about him like his actual matches like, you know, what I knew of Japan was more of the kind of uh, I mean, A, the current product with like, you know Ibushi and you know, and, and, and Naito and stuff like that, and the previous era stuff when it was like you know Dr. Death and Terry Gordy running amok, and, and, uh, you know, Chris Benoit under a mask, and, uh, you know, the Blue Pegasus and Eddie Guerrero going over there. So, so I knew a little bit, but Enoki has actually been a hole in my knowledge that I'm, that I'm learning a bit about, you know, taking this opportunity to learn more about him as an actual in ring performer.
0: As, as one of my friends wrote on Twitter, I don't remember who, unfortunately, I said, if you thought uh, promoters in the United States did some work with some shady characters, Onoki promoted shows with Saddam Hussein and Kim Jong-il. Excellent. So, uh, you know, you then you add in, you know, whatever dealings Onoki had over the years with legitimate businessmen in Japan. Right. You know he had at least one embezzlement scandal that uh, he had someone take the fall for, you know, plus, you know, the whole, I mean, if nothing else, you know, the Ali fight, you know, is one of the, you know, 10 most famous things in wrestling for better or worse.
1: Oh yeah. Automatically. Sure. You
0: know, and then, again, his obsession with like working and shooting and, you know, fighting karate guys and judo guys. And, you know, Inoki brought real honest to God Soviet Russians to work in new Japan, you know, in the late, in the late eighties. Again, you know, one of my friends said, does that match he had with flair still the all time attendance record? And I'm like, As far as I know, because I think there were allegedly two hundred thousand people at that show in North Korea.
1: Good lord,
0: really? I mean, I mean, watch watch the episode of Dark Side of the Ring that's all about the North Korea shows. Okay, that would.
1: I haven't been watching the Dark Side of the Ring stuff just because half of we talked about this a bit. Like like, half of it, I know, and the stuff I don't know just makes me sad. Uh, but that might be worth watching.
0: Yeah, I said said earlier, one of the issues I had with Darkseid was, one, there's not a lot that I didn't know already, and two, a lot of it is really salacious, and you really, like, I know about Grizzly Smith, I don't need to see dramatic reenactments of Grizzly Smith, not graphic reenactments, but, you know, live action of, you know, him parading around these 12-year-old girls and – or, you know, seeing the flare on the plane ride from hell. You know, I know – I don't – I have a visual in my mind of how it will happen. I don't really need to see dramatic reenactments. I am looking forward to watching these tales from the territories since it's a different – since it's basically those old WWF roundtables, but based on each territory. I mean, as we're taping this – The first episode about Memphis was on last night and I listened to the two guy, the two producers talk about it on Cornette's podcast. So I'm looking forward. I mean, it's, I mean, the Memphis episode is Lawler, Jerry Jarrett, Jeff Jarrett, Jimmy Hart and Dutch Mantel. I mean, there's plenty of, there's plenty of storytellers. I don't know who all are in all of the episodes. They haven't really said it yet. I heard them talk about that. Get the. I know they said Bob Rupe and Kevin Sullivan are in the Florida one. I don't sure. know who I don't I don't know who's in the Mid South one. I would assume that Ross is on the Mid South one, but then he also said he wouldn't. Bill Watts them. dead? No, Watts is not dead. But they would probably have to. Bill pay. Watts is not dead. No, Bill Watts is not dead. Wow! Well, all right. Um, they would probably have to pay Watts. A large amount of money, I would think, to do something like this I mean <clears throat> as far as I know, he doesn't really have any he doesn't want to have anything to do with wrestling. The only thing that I know in like the last ten years that he's done is he was at that mid south fan convention that I went to when we did the mid south issue of the magazine, and I mean, I only got to brief i he, like, showed up at the end to do his panel and then leave. So I very quickly got to sneak in the line, give him a copy, and say, I love the Mid-South. I wrote a, we did a whole issue of our magazine about Mid-South, so here's the copy. And he said, thank you, and that was it. And I think he referenced – he was doing a shoot interview, I think, at the show or during the show, and I think he referenced these like, he's like, some young fella came up and said – you know, we inspired a whole issue of his magazine or something like that. So I was like, yeah, oh. yeah. it's like, I know I gave Ross a copy and I know I gave Watts a copy and I gave Cornette a copy. But uh, I mean, because I mean, at the time when he sold Mid South, he was done. You know, he was. He had some sort of Amway or Amway like supplement business in oh, those in the late eighties, early nineties before he briefly came back to run WCW before the whole Mark Madden Hank Aaron thing happened. Um, you know, and then and then he was gone and then he briefly was in the WF for like two weeks and said, I can't deal with these people and left again. Yeah. Like, I, I don't I mean, know. He's a, he's I don't but I mean No, I think it back, he's he did Ron Fuller's podcast like two or three years ago.
1: Okay, okay. Because, yeah, I would imagine this, this, uh, there's so many podcasts now that uh,
0: because well, I mean, it. yeah, well, I mean, it's also it's it's not some schmo like me calling up Bill Watts. To be, can you come on and talk about might he? No, no, four? you know this okay, is exactly. like, yeah, this is Ron Fuller doing his pod. You know, this is you know a guy he's known for fifty years. Yeah, exactly. I mean, because Watts was the Booker when Dusty Rhodes turned babyface in Florida.
1: Okay.
0: So, I mean, he had Watts on to talk about when Dusty Rhodes turned babyface. I mean, so (laughs) it's like you can't have Eddie Graham, and you can't have Dusty Rhodes, and you can't have Gary Hart. So Bill Watts is like the only person still alive that could tell you what happened. I mean, I think Fuller was there. Fuller may still have been working in Florida. But, I mean – how many guys from 1974 that were in the business are probably still around that and can tell stories as good as Watts can and as good yeah, as Ron exactly. Fuller can. So, but yeah, so there's there's like so much of this treasure trove of old stuff now at the Watch. It's like, you know, there's now... I, the yeah, Tales there's from now, the
1: Territory might suck me in. I saw the trailer for it and, and yeah, like I've I've checked out on most of the Dark Side of the Rings stuff. <laughs> <clears throat> sorry <clears throat> but the territory is what what interests me I kind of need to see what I feel like I don't I never saw the best of Mid-South when I think of Mid-South all I think about is just Jerry Lawler and Bill Dundee and Dutch Mantell just fighting each other or befriending each other endlessly for 15 years
0: I'm sure that's step. unfair Especially because that's Memphis, and not Mid South.
1: Oh shit! Okay, then, then then, 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 I, then, then, that's then I'm thinking Memphis. Then I know very little about
0: Mid South. Mid South is Jim Duggan and Ted Dibiase and Doctor Death and people like that.
1: Wasn't well, that called the UWF?
0: That's or the, is that yeah, a veg- different? No, Mid South. When Mid South expanded, when Mid South tried to go national in 1986, he changed the name to the UWF.
1: Okay. Okay. So, then like, I, then I, that so, would be interesting, mid south. That is so, that's a particular territory that has been a fascination for me. Yeah.
0: So, UWF, when they went national, that's probably like when they got on TV in Chicago, and you could have watched it. It was like when the UWF started, as the UWF.
1: I mean, my primary exposure as a kid to non WWF wrestling was the Von Erichs on whatever i like proto ESPN or something had from the sportatorium. So I got way too much of the Von Eriks and Iceman King Parsons and Eric Embry and uh, young Steve Austin and uh, all of that. Gino Hernandez.
0: Well, what's funny is, you know, I've told this, we've told this on the pod before, but I mean, we got to watch world class here
1: yeah, WC yeah. yeah, the World Class Championship Wrestling from the Sportatorium. There we no, go. No, no. Bronco Lubitsch. The, the God, all these names are in my head somewhere.
0: No, no, so you didn't be really finished. We got to what? watch we got to watch World Class here, not before it was on ESPN, because World Class was shown on seven hundred club stations. <laughs> so because you remember they were all good Christians. <laughs> Okay. So we got to watch world class on the UHF station from York, Pennsylvania, that was a seven hundred club channel.
1: That's hilarious.
0: So when I was grow- so when I was growing up before we had cable, like I could watch we could watch WWF both shows, Crockett, both shows, world class and AWA. That's what we could get like off the antenna. And then because of where we lived, we got the WWE shows and the NWA shows twice because we could watch them on the Baltimore station and on the Philadelphia station. Okay. So if you missed one or they overlapped, you could, you could catch up if you had to, because I don't know if they were like on different days. Cause I don't think they were back to back and they were on different channels. Like, In Philadelphia, like, um, WWF is on what would become the Fox channel and NWA was on what would be, I think, the WB channel or the UPN. I think the WB channel and the same in the same in, in Baltimore, WWF was on what would become the Fox station, which I did not know at the time was actually like is the, actually the flagship TV station of Sinclair. So that became <laughs> so, that, so that became the flagship channel for Ring of Honor once Sinclair bought Ring of Honor and moved them to Baltimore. Oh, God, that was weird. And then NWA and AWA were on, I think, what became the UPN Baltimore channel, you know, a decade later. So, I mean, we had plenty here, but, I mean, you know, I didn't get to watch Me- – I didn't see Memphis until – I got to college, and it was on F and N score. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we were <clears throat> because we lived in the quad that had the athletes in it.
1: You know, yes, we did. Yes, we did.
0: We were we were one of three three housing halls on campus that had cable TV in 1988. Oh, okay. and one and one of the few that had air conditioning. I don't recall. Oh, wow. So, yeah, it was like, I think we had air conditioning and cable and then the quad that was, you know, like across the street from the football stadium, the one like north of us. Yeah, I think they had cable and air conditioning. And I think like the one in between us (laughs) had. But I mean, like, like where you eventually moved, you know, the hippie quad. Yes. I don't think it had at least in the beginning. I don't think it had air conditioning and cable.
1: Probably not. Probably not. Not a lot of football players in that quad.
0: Yeah, I remember. I mean I mean we I mean now we did not live in the we did not live in the football player building. We lived in the international student building.
1: Yes. We were like a little oasis, yeah.
0: Well, I mean and this is another thing you tell people about they don't believe. Like we had one of the few uh, male and female buildings residence halls on campus at the time. I don't know if there were I don't remember how things were when you moved to Collins, but I mean our, we had a four our building that we lived in was four floors. Yeah. And the top floor and the bottom floor was guys and the first floor and the second floor was girls.
1: Was that rare? Like other other places were just doing I, female buildings?
0: I believe we were one of the rare buildings that were integrated like that.
1: No, oh, if fair. I
0: could, if I could say integrated like that. Yeah, but I mean, we didn't. It weren't. It wasn't like you weren't. You didn't have male and female roommates, and you did not have male and female people living on the same floor. But yeah, it was rare. I don't. It probably wasn't unique, but it was certainly. I'm pretty sure most places it was like a building in your quad was men or women. I don't think it was both. Interesting. Because that was, you know, again, that was one of the unique gimmicks of where of our building. Right. I mean, because cause the gimmick of our building was it was like the International Living Learning Center.
1: Right. It had like so, programs and basically most of the people there were there because they had some interest in – uh, an international or foreign culture like three fourths of my friends from that freshman year did junior years abroad, you know, like a, a wildly disproportionate number of those students became world travelers of some sort.
0: And I don't know if it was still true your first year, but like my first year of like the 20 people that lived on my floor, like eight were Malaysian or Indonesian like there was a concentrated block of people from a specific foreign country of some. Is it? Do you say South Asian country now? Is that how you I describe? I
1: believe it? South Asian. Yes. Okay.
0: Well, so they were like from Malaysia or Indonesia. I don't remember. It's been twenty-five years. I apologize, but they were all from one country because you know they all hung out together. Yeah. You know they cooked. Native food, like, yeah. in their rooms when they weren't supposed to be. You know, like, I don't think we were allowed to have hot plates. but We could have microwaves but not hot plates. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so, and again, we, you know, and there were, I know there were girls that lived upstairs that were Scandinavian, at least a couple that I remember.
1: Yeah, well, it was a dorm that drew international students and Americans who were interested in this. International stuff. Yeah. Well,
0: I often, i I will say this is funny that, especially given that I you know like I have a government job and like there's a fair degree of occasional international talk about stuff that I always say you know we talk about sort of like the volatility of geopolitics and stuff and you know like Putin's Russia and all this stuff. Oh now and, and I always tell them, I said. I said the par- I said, you know how volatile things are. I said, I had a friend when I was in college who came to college, you know, to be like a major in Russian and Soviet studies. And then I and then his freshman year, the Berlin Wall fell down and Glasnost happened.
1: <laughs>
0: so I'm like I don't know how Bailey that like completely destroyed like his future plans. You know what I mean? It'd be like well everything I learned is just wrong. Yeah, exactly. I mean I mean it's not wrong, but it's like it's like you like suddenly have been given the blue pill. Yeah. And you're like what? <laughs> like there's no more Soviet Union. Okay then so like these 5 years of stuff that I've learned is up in smoke. Yeah, pretty much. So that was a good thing. The good thing about being a film major is like film never changes. <laughs> and for you being a journalist you know there's always news
1: there is always news
0: which so as we go i guess i'll say uh is it, what's is there anything interesting happening on your beat down there in the capital region
1: well i i cover uh for for the associated press i cover i mean around the country i cover the social safety net so there's lots of uh interesting programs and anti-poverty etc cetera, etc cetera. but I also cover sort of DC local so all the protests are my beat I'm I'm basically one of the street guys that is out there uh for most protests whether it be black lives matter or January 6th like that's that's me so there's always we're always a month away from another protest and with the elections coming up etc cetera, etc cetera, and frankly we're all just on permanent watch for the Civil War. you know, <laughs> Just, you know worrying about when and where that's going to take shape is kind of part of my problem. So, yeah, it never quite ends. We'll see at this election. But, yeah, I remember January 6th and the night before and being at some protest, uh, like the pre-January 6th protest, and Michael Flynn is speaking and Alex Jones is speaking and they are talking about this. In literally apocalyptic terms, like good and evil, this is this is a fight with the devil. And I remember thinking that night and the weeks before, it's like, how did the world do they back down from this? Like how, like there's nowhere to go. This is literally a fight with evil. Where are they going to go? And then, of course, they kept going, step straight into the into the. I can't say I saw January 6 coming, but I remember being real, like once. Once you don't believe the judges and you don't believe the FBI, you don't believe the outgoing attorney general, like there's very little room but to pick up a gun. And we're not quite yet at the pick up a gun stage, but we're right on the cusp of it. I'm actually not sure what's what's kept us from that so
0: far. So and yeah. and well, since we're not going to probably uh, have you on before then, are you disappointed to uh, not have your, uh, your, country, your home country in the World Cup this year? Or are you happy that you do not have to worry about that uh, S-storm that's going to be going on in Qatar?
1: Good Lord, that's going to be a mess. That is going to be interesting. I would have been pleasantly surprised if Egypt made it. I mean, sort of the, 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 the way it go always goes with Egypt is Egypt kicks nine kinds of ass in the African Cup. Like we have some disproportionate amount of championships in the African Cup because the Nigerians and the people who take the World Cup seriously don't take the African Cup seriously, so we get these inflated senses of our own prowess, and then it comes down to actual World Cup time, and we inevitably shit the bed, and everybody is miserable, and so yeah, you know, it, it it's is. My life a it is.
0: I mean, I'm sure you you. Sort of dealt with this more when you were there, but it is it is fascinating. Sort of the geographic rivalry between the Saharan football playing countries and the sub-Saharan playing countries. Oh, like it's
1: quite bitter. Yes, but go on. Sorry.
0: No, it's just funny that you know that, that oftentimes it seems like the balance of power fluctuates between the two, like. Sometimes Egypt is good, and, you know, maybe (coughs) Algeria is good, but they're not good at the same time as, like, the Ivory Coast or Nigeria. Yeah. You know, and they're like, and now, let's see, trying to think. Like, I know, let's see, let me just pull this up because I can never remember. Well, and there's
1: there's a long-term, incredibly bitter and personal rivalry between Egypt and Tunisia. Whenever Egypt plays Tunisia, it's like, you know, thousands of cops at the stadium. Like, it's its, just, it's, its own organic, incredibly volatile thing that I'm not sure anyone can explain anymore.
0: But so, like, so this year in the World Cup, we've got Qatar, obviously. Although sure. Qatar is, I believe, technically Asia. But, you know, yes. So you've got Senegal, you got Iran, you got Saudi Arabia, you have Tunisia, you have Morocco. All right. Cameroon and Ghana. So it's sort of interesting that there's actually a fair bit of Saharan representation. It's just Egypt isn't one of them. And, you know, we had the great, I'm you know, I'm sure this killed you, but like you had the great. Thing of, you know, this showdown between Egypt and Senegal, and you've got the two guys (laughs) from the same club team playing against each other.
1: I do love when stuff like that happens.
0: That happened the other day. England were playing Germany in the Nations League, and Jude Bellingham is like this really uh, awesome 17, 18-year-old that plays for England. But he plays for, he plays for Borussia Dortmund for club football. And he was like hacked down, uh, going for a goal by a guy, like one of the German defenders, and it's a guy who plays with him on Dortmund. So you're yeah. like, you're like, so what was practice like on Wednesday when these guys both came back to the club? And you know, is it just, these things happen, or is it going to be like, I'm going to be pissed at you for a couple days because of this?
1: I bet it's these things happen. I mean, that's, in their world, you know, I I bet it's fine.
0: Although, I mean, that's hist- historically one of the reasons England hasn't done much in international competition was that the club rivalries were too strong for when they came together for England. Uh, like, you have, like in the 90s, and the early 2000s, it'd be like, you would go to England duty and you'd go in for lunch and all the Man United players would sit together and all the Liverpool players would sit together and all the Arsenal players would sit together. And so like they carried over their, they carried over like their club resentments toward each other. And so you're like, how can these guys be a team? (laughs) You know, apparently it's, I mean, now it's probably more like American sports where it's all like, Hey, we're all multi-millionaires, so it's like let's try not to hurt each other. You know, like we're going to play yeah, for like the, exactly in the, the NFL greater.
1: or in the NBA. Like if two players have beef, it's over a woman or a gambling debt. Like I mean, that, that's it. It's not because of whatever fucking
0: jersey they're wearing. I mean, it's not like in the '60s when the American League and the National League really hated each other.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's because all
0: I know. because you are representing your league and your brand of baseball. So, like, it meant something to win the All-Star game. <clears throat> Whereas now, you know, it's like, oh, you know, maybe we get more money, but... And again, it's baseball, so it's like, how much real hatred is there in baseball anyway? And apparently, we're not even going to have a Pro Bowl anymore. So, no loss. Good riddance. But, anyway, boy, this went on a lot longer than I... It's probably because we only you know, like, talk to each other, like, once every couple of years.
1: It's good to talk to you, Mark. I've enjoyed it. I'm sorry it turned into such a long podcast episode, but I've enjoyed this.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, <clears throat> I am having this dilemma for the, the plot podcast that I'm doing, uh, where it's just me talking about something. And so I'm having trouble, like, even getting to, like, the 20 minute mark because I'm just like, I do not want to, I mean, yes, there are certain things that I could talk about for 20 minutes, but I'm like, who wants to hear me talk about something for 20 minutes. It's like, especially especially if it's something that I can't play clips from. Right. You know, like, if I'm talking about a book, like, if I'm talking about a comic book, I can't play clips from a comic book. Right. But, you know, it's just, and it's like, how much, and it's like, how much trivia do I put into this? And how do I make it sound like I'm just not reading from the Wikipedia page? That, like, I've actually, I mean, um... Like last, not the recent episode, but like the one before, like I did stuff on the French New Wave after Godard died. And it's like, well, can I really play clips of these French movies? Well, not really. But I mean, I talked about three of them, so it got me to 20 minutes. Whereas like the episode that I did this week for, that was like Halloween themed where I was talking about, monsters on 60 spy shows. I can play two minutes of Martin Landau on the man from uncle. And I can play two minutes from the Avengers and like two minutes from guest smart. And Hey, I got 20 minutes and I don't have to talk for all 20 minutes, (laughs) but it's just, I don't like the solo pod. It's like, that's why I was talking, or I did the episode with Chris like earlier last week. And it was the first time I had had the same person on twice, but it's because I hadn't done a pod in three months. Yeah. So like it wasn't like he was he was on the the two most recent episodes, but they were like three months apart because it's just like I don't I mean, the good thing is I'm this pod isn't part of a network. This is my pod. I do what I want. Right. So it's like. Okay, I'm going to have, like, three pods this month because I've got, like, some more lined up. But, like, I went three months without doing one because either I couldn't get, you know, I mean, how long have we been talking about doing this one? Like, a month or two before we... Can yeah,
1: everybody's schedule was screwed Figure up out there. when
0: to do up, and it's like I've... I have a really weird work schedule where, like, basically I can only do a pod two days one week, but the other week I could do it five days just right. because of when I work and the times I work. And, you know, then if I try and, you know, have some of my friends that are like in the UK on, it's like, okay, I got to factor this five hours in. So it's like, do you want to do this in the afternoon, your time? So I got to get up early. Do you want to do this late your time? So I'm doing it in the afternoon here. I mean, I've done a pod with somebody, there were like, they did the pod after they took the kids to school. So it was like 730 there, but it was like three here. I'm like, it's fine because I'm up. Right. But it's just like, I wouldn't normally schedule for me to do a pod at three in the morning. But it's kind of like, you do what you got to do. And again, when you're asking guests to do on the show and you're not financially compensating them, they're like, I can only do this on this day at this time and so that's cool but we can't do it for 2 weeks then so it's like okay it's right. two more it's 2 weeks later and like I haven't done a pod but like I mean it's not like I get tweets all the time saying hey where's the new pod I'm missing it <laughs> you know what I mean I don't think I don't know if I've ever gotten one of those honestly <laughs> but uh you know it it is what I mean that's also why you know I started this pod like 7 years ago and this is only like episode one hundred and thirteen. you know we we're talking about delays in Sandman. this is here we go this is the this is the full circle wrap up for you yeah. i mean this is this is not in quality wise is this Sandman, but this is certainly schedule wise like Sandman, especially in the Connie ones era. like it comes oh. out when it comes out. It won't necessarily be that good, but at least it's out.
1: Be happy for what you get, people.
0: be happy again, you know. Again, if this was on Patreon and I had to do one a month, I I would find a way to do it, but I'm glad I don't. And, you know, I always say, you know, no sponsors, no ads. I'm not, you know, if the pod had a picture, it would be, it would be Neil Young and this note's for you holding the beer can that says sponsored by nobody. (laughs) You know, that's, that's the motto of the pod. So anyway, you probably need to go to bed because you've got you've got small children that are going to wake you up in the in the morning. So
1: five and a half hours, they will be poking me in the head. Yes.
0: Okay. So, like we said, uh, for people who want to check out the pod, the plot pod, you can get it on this feed. You can also get it at when it was cool. The episode that dropped this week was about 60 spy shows and monsters. Or are they? Question mark. Um the next plot pod in probably a week or so will be I don't know if you've ever watched this show did you have you ever watched this British show called Ultraviolet
1: I'm aware of it but only the name
0: Okay well that's that's going to be the subject of the next pod so you can listen It's basically yeah. it, it's the the concept that I've been telling people this week that they've never heard of it was it's it would be Vampires versus the X-Files plus Blade because okay. you you've got uh you got a police guy who gets roped into this secret organization that's fighting vampires um the one of the people on the team is like a doctor who's the one who's been treating all the sort of vampirism and um she's kind of got the you know, she kind of has that late 90s uh Dana Scully hair although she's blonde right. not a redhead but and you've got uh, a guy who who very much reminds me of Blade, because he's like a former, he's a former army officer who's like this big, giant uh, black guy who's the muscle of the team. And that would be young Idris Elba. Ooh! So this is one okay. of the, this is one of the first things, this is, Idris Elba did this before The Wire.
1: That would and, interest me on that alone.
0: And, if you see and if you saw Ultraviolet before the wire, you were not surprised or you were surprised that Idris Elba did not have a British accent when he was supposed to be from Baltimore. Like <laughs> like like many of the people on the wire you did not know were British until they appeared in other things.
1: That was a, a, a t- turning point moment in my life when I heard Idris Elba's real speaking voice. That was just blew my mind. To this Or when, day.
0: You, or when you found out Lester Freeman was British? is he yes lester freeman i believe lester freeman is british
1: okay that's new information for me any uh,
0: any i will I'll, I'll be sending you a bunch of links for you to look at in the morning that'll probably be one of them please so yes yeah, so people can look forward to in the next week or so our review of the british sci-fi show ultraviolet thanks again ash uh, people, if people still read newspapers, I'd say look for your byline. But I guess they can look for it online.
1: Yeah, I'm all over the place. It's the Associated Press, so everything I write just, just goes, just gets sprinkled out into the landscape for everyone. So Google my name, folks.
0: Cool. Thanks, Ash, and people look for that. And we will talk to everybody next time.